welcome everyone. We got a lot going on today, Aaron. We are in a um a bit of a pre-snowstorm situation here at the Benzinga HQ, but we got a jam-packed show. How many guests do we have today? Like five guests? We have like five guests on today. We got a guest at noon. We're talking to the CEO of Muscle Maker Grill, Mike Roper. We got a guest at 12.15, Jeff Hoffman. He's a mentor on the show Going Public, and he's also the chairman of the Global Entrepreneurship Network. We've got a guest at 12.30, which is with the CFO of the company called Transfix. That's Christian Lee. We got uh, Nick Shaheen at 1 o'clock, and we got Mr. Cincinnati himself, Jesse Kaler, at 1.45. Woo! So big show. Pack show on Benzinga Live today. Shout out to our cameraman. Um, yeah. Lot, lots of stuff to discuss, man. Lots lot. of lots of tickers, lots of hot stocks, lots of earnings. What up, Easy Mike? What up, Talk to Me Goose? Master of Starks. How's it going? They're early. All right, let's roll that intro and get to it. Roll it. This is Benzinga Live. Spencer Israel and producer A.B. What's up, everybody? How are we doing? Someone told me buy high, sell higher. Let's get Matt Hammond on the show to talk some IPOs. Jake Wojcik from Trend Spider. We have a breaking news. All right, so Aaron, we got a lot to talk about today. Um, let's just start with Google Alphabet. Is I that? I thought cool? we were going to start with Groundhog Day. Puxatani. Okay, so let's start with Groundhog Day. That's a better idea. Um, Breaking news as of like four hours ago, because they do this this stuff early now. Uh, Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow. Well, I guess there's more than one groundhog. The the one, the main one saw his shadow. The one in New Jersey apparently died. Did you hear that? What's the the main ones in Philadelphia or in, uh, in, in Pennsylvania? Somewhere. Yeah, but there's a groundhog in New Jersey, my home state, and apparently it like died yesterday. I don't know what that means for winter or spring, but six more weeks of winter. Six more weeks of rallies in the stock market yeah oh Crypto shout out jay rice jay rice you you jay rice joined me on the uh <laughs> bless you thank you spread i put out on google yesterday we were discussing different earnings plays and i wanted to play google on the upside into earnings was very bullish uh google reported a great quarter just absolute blowout numbers but maybe more importantly announced a 20 to 1 stock split um, we actually discussed this on the show about a week ago. We were talking about Google. I said, I like it. I said, it likes good value. Someone in the comment, um, it might have been you, Jay Rice, said that they, they Google needed to do a stock split to get retail investors interested. Uh, that's exactly what Google did. So the effectively, the stock price will now be around $150. Uh, you know, when, when does it go into effect? Oh I, oh, I don't actually know when it goes. Sometime that. in wait, the next coming months. Wait, wait, recap for us. What was the trade again? Because I, th I thought you were, I thought you, you had a spread on. I did have a spread. Okay, what was the spread? It was a, a call debit spread. Um, let me get the exact because I, I already sold. Because Google blew way past the expected move on this. Yeah, I mean, I I would have. There were there were definitely trades out there that I could have made that got me like a, a higher percent return had yeah. I played the spread like more aggressively. Um, but it, I mean, look, it was like a. I bought the I bought the spread for or two contracts. Total my total purchase of the contracts was four hundred thirty six. Sold them today for nine hundred eighty. So more than a hundred percent gain overnight. Uh, it was a two seven fifty call. I bought those. I sold the two seven five five twenty seven five five. So really, all I needed Google to do was or open above. $2,755 today, which it did by a lot. So, um, yeah. 
All right, so great trade. Um, I feel like we, we we neglected to mention uh, yesterday, and this is a good a good time to do that. If you're going to put on a spread for an earnings for an earnings report, um, that spread, the expected move that the options market is pricing in, um, that goes out the window when something like a stock split happens. The, the, no one is pricing, no one is expecting a stock split to ever happen. They're random, and I guess we live in a world now where stock splits mean that your stock goes to the moon afterwards, even though that wasn't always the case. Um, so anyone that was, um, you know, providing insurance on this trade for the market kind of got blown out today, I, I feel like, but it's a good trade for you. So... Yeah, I mean, look, I, but so even with the expected move, had Google not announced this, or had Google not announced the stock split, it would have gone up. The yeah. stock just opened up two and a half percent today, yeah. as opposed to ten. Yeah, uh, my my spread still would have worked out. Really, my risk it, it was basically like a fifty fifty. You know, is Google going to open up or down? If it opens up, yep. I make my money back. If it opens down, I lose my money. So it's kind of yep. like one of those binary um, event spreads. They're fun to fun to trade if you feel like you have an edge. And then we we also looked at. Uh, PayPal, I, I think Easy Mike, someone in the chat yesterday was saying they, they were rooting for blowout earnings on PayPal. Sorry. I looked at it, said, I don't really, I can't get into that. I don't really like it. I didn't, I, I didn't love it into earnings and I didn't really want to play it on the downside either. Obviously now looking at it, hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I did play it on the downside. Um, but really what I saw when looking at the, the balance sheet or sorry, not the balance sheet, the income statement, you could see PayPal's. Uh, growth had been stalling or even decreasing over the last few quarters, and there was nothing that really indicated that this was going to be a blowout quarter. Um, so, yeah, I mean, t- tough day for PayPal. If, if you're not in PayPal, not a bad time maybe to start a position. But we, we've I, talked about this before, is that a lot of times when stocks know. leg down like this after earnings, they continue to move lower. Yep. Uh, we saw it with Netflix. We saw it with Snapchat. Uh, Although, we saw with DocuSign. Wait, but on the Netflix, Netflix came back. Ne- at- Netflix has actually <laughs> come a lot of ways back here. But in the in the in the, in the immediate, so. if these are daily candles and you zoom in, in the immediate days right after yeah. the earnings report, yeah, you're right, you're right. It still moved lower and then came you're back. Right. You're right. Yep. Um, yeah. I, Spencer, I also I have kind of a I have a theory. Oh, okay. I'm all for theories. Is it a conspiracy theory or just a? Normal, I, I think normal? it. I think you could consider it a conspiracy theory. I'm for it, and I'm not really a conspiracy theory guy. Yeah, but me neither. I, what do you got for me? All right. So we know Bitcoin and the overall markets, especially Nasdaq, especially growth in tech, has been correlated over the last, mm-hmm. um, really since the COVID crash. I mean, Bitcoin crashed with COVID. Kind of mm-hmm. when the market turned around, Bitcoin turned around. You can just overlay the charts and see it. Um, but it's become a very good measure. Like I don't even look at futures anymore. I look at Bitcoin, and if Bitcoin is up in the morning before the market's open, I think it's going to be a strong day with tech. Interesting. Um, Interesting. But I think. Wait, you don't look at the Bitcoin futures? You, no, I look, you at, look at Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Itself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my theory is that some of the big players, big market makers, big institutions out there are, are getting privy on this. That if Bitcoin's up markets are up or maybe if markets are up bitcoins are up or vice versa i don't know it's kind of like the chicken or the egg correlation does not equal causation but pull up bitcoins pull up bitcoins chart for me on benzinga pro i can do that we got that chart in benzinga pro and i want to look at like uh maybe 10 minute candles okay you want to 
just look at 10 minute wow 10 minute candles okay you're gonna make me uh do a, a different time frame here so yeah go to like one day 10 uh, minute a minute we'll do 10 minutes okay how's that for you good all right can we zoom in here on today yeah we can do that I want to look at what happened right at 9.30 in the morning when the mark 9.30 Eastern when the market's open. You mean that big flush? Yeah, right at 9.30. Uh-huh. I, I, something's going on. It smells fishy to me. It smells like, it smells like something else to me. What was that? I don't know. I don't know if, smells, I don't know if, if I smell fish, but... Uh, oh, you mean the chart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the chart... I don't know. Like, as soon as the equities market opens, Bitcoin tanks. Like, it seems like... And I don't know what the, you know, how someone could be causing this or what could be going on. Maybe it, it, it's people, want, maybe maybe it's people, there aren't big inflows of buying coming in right at 930 because maybe people want to see how the markets are doing and they're going to determine I'm how. I'm going to pull up Ethereum at the same time and just, uh, uh, I'm sure it's the same, right? Because it's all risk on, risk off. That's why I see it as like a good hedge. If people are buying Bitcoin, then they, then it's a sign that people are willing to take on risk now for returns later, which is what yeah, tech, yeah, tech yeah. and growth is driven by. Yeah, yeah. It's, okay, so you, your point is that Bitcoin is more of the indicator, more of the leader. As opposed well, to, well, I think maybe only in the sense because it's open twenty four seven. So at eight in the morning, you know, whatever people can look at it and say, "Oh my God, if Bitcoin's up five percent, then that shows you in the over okay. that there are people okay. out there willing okay. to take on okay. that risk, okay. and, and vice versa." If Bitcoin's down five percent, right. I'm just going to zoom out here and just let's let's compare Bitcoin, ETH, and the Qs, and let's just go look at the last I don't know few months. Now let's get rid of Ethereum. It's this chart's too busy. Bitcoin versus the Qs. Um, okay, so you do see a correlation there, right? You can see it here. Obviously, the performance of Bitcoin has a way higher beta, right? It's way more volatile. But you can do you see on the on the QQQ chart that when the Qs go up, Bitcoin goes up. When the Qs go down, Bitcoin. It's not perfect. It's not a one to one correlation, but you kind of had you kind of got to look closely at that blue at that blue line to see it. But it is there. Look at that bottom in December. They both bottomed at the same time. They both kind of topped out at the same time. So, yeah, there is a correlation there. And your, your point about using the overnight 24-hour Bitcoin market as your indicator for the risk appetite for the day, I think is a salient point. I think, I think. Well, I think even like intraday, let's take today, for example. I mean, okay. we, we've had this kind of sell-off. Um you know, queues have it like you said, queues are flatter than Bitcoin, but down. And if we pull up Bitcoin's chart and watch it in our day, I'd imagine that if we do see a bounce, we'll we'll see it reflected on both charts almost simultaneously. And I don't know which will come first, if we'll see the queues bounce or, or Bitcoin bounce first. But if I see Bitcoin start to creep back up, I'd be very surprised if uh, the queues and, and really the overall markets didn't as well. I just, for some reason, the... The big price movement of Bitcoin at 9.30 at the same exact time the market opens, to me, there's some connection there. I'm not quite sure what it is. So it's not just Bitcoin, though. I mean, like, let, let's, let's be clear here. You had, you had a broad-based tech sell-off. and so, No, not sell-off. You had tech trade down at the open today. Look at Google, okay? It's sort of, it's sort of your prime example. We just talked about 
the stock was up because of the earnings and the stock split, but it's trading down. It's it's down today from the open, right? You can look at Tesla. All, all tech kind of did this, right? Right off the open today. Look at Tesla. It's making new lows here. Uh, not new lows, but was making a new low of the day. I see your question about Tesla in the chat. Uh, we can talk about that in a second. You, had, you just had a broad-based tech downturn. I don't know if downturn is too strong a word. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Uh, you, you, had, you had tech trade-off off the open. That's the bottom line. I don't know who the leader is. You, you want to say Bitcoin is the leader? You want to say everything? It, it all moved together. Well, that's a good point. Um, also, uh, how's Amazon doing? Because they report to Sorry me. if I butcher the name in the chat, but Ayaron is, is saying, you know, it's algos. So Of course it is. So that could be a good point. I mean, I, and I don't know. I, you, you know, we know how prevalent algos are in the... Uh, in the equity space, I don't know how prevalent algos are in the crypto space. I imagine probably oh, the it, same, if not more so. Yeah, incredibly prevalent. Um, I would argue maybe even more so, yeah. Oh, Gallagher, was that you that was talking about PayPal yesterday? Someone was talking about PayPal yesterday. Um, oh, A-A-Ron, that's his... All right. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to pronounce his uh, name, and it's funny. my name. That's funny, um, A-A-Ron. Yeah. Um, no, it, but it's a good point. Is uh, Tech... Trades but together. I but okay so so Google is say it's up nine percent pre market and then has this little sell off right at nine thirty or, yeah. or at least I'm not even gonna call it a sell off but what, sell pressure there's what, sell what, pressure there. What's wrong with that? Nothing wrong at all. Okay. I'm saying maybe that's what right at nine thirty Bitcoin algo saw and said okay instead of people like piling in they're, they're selling taking profits and then it here. puts sell pressure on bitcoin here here and so and, and amd it is it, it looks identical frankly right so jay rice's point is also good i mean we just had a rip roaring three days where everything almost everything seemed to just go straight up in the last three trading days right uh yesterday monday friday um the you took no heat um, if you are of the mindset that the market is going higher in the medium to long, well, at any point, frankly, in, is, let's say if you're of the mindset that the market's going higher in the short to intermediate term, you want to be buying now. This is a great buying opportunity if you believe that one month out, two months out, six months out, the market is higher. Um, I personally don't know if I believe that. I don't think I do. I, I, I'm... So I don't the, know. I, I think I think right now it's not a bad time to start adding to some positions of some. I mean, we can pull up like pull up pull up Roblox for example. Okay. Roblox is one of these tech names that people you know loved, got all the way as high as I think hundred and thirty dollars share. And when the markets you know had when we had this downturn the past couple months, certain stocks like Roblox got hit harder than the overall markets. Got hit harder than your bigger names like Apple, Microsoft, um, and drew down you know fifty, sixty, some even seventy percent. And even though Roblox has gone higher yeah. the past week or so, you're still so far off your highs that if, if you want a company long term, you yeah. can start adding to a position. And then if, if what sure. you're saying, Spencer, that we continue to trade lower, fine. Then add again at $50 or add again at 45 You know, just because if, you, if I had $1,000 sitting on, on the sideline right now that I wanted to use to get into Roblox, I wouldn't spend all 1000 on that on Roblox today. I, I'd start a position, maybe a third of it or maybe half of it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And so if you have a stock, someone asked about, is now a good time to buy Tesla for the long term? I think someone asked that. It doesn't matter what the stock is, Tesla, Roblox, whatever. Today is the kind of a day to build a position you like it's 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 generally better more advantageous 
to buy into weakness than it is to for a long term thing than 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 chasing a stock up five percent like you were Roblox yesterday, right? What was Roblox up yesterday? It was up uh, I was up two percent yesterday. It was up thirteen percent the day before that, and it was up two percent the day before that, right? right? So well, I would also argue that for a, for a true long term position, there is no bad time. Yeah, I mean it does, does <laughs> not the matter. Other side up ten percent, down five percent. At the end of the day, you're you know you're talking about a very negligible difference. Um, so uh, yeah, you know that's true. If you're looking to add a stock long term and you're just sitting there like waiting for the right day to do it, just do it. Just or or do or dollar cost average. You know, start whenever you want to start and then kind of average that in. But I don't know the you know for for the last six weeks or whenever we really you know kind of started this downturn in the queues in big tech in growth. Um, it seemed like we were essentially heading down every day. And then you'd have these days where the market would bounce and there'd be, and that was like an opportunity to where if you were looking to short stocks, like, you know, say, take, um, just take the queues, for example, the queues are in a downtrend, then they're up a day. You know, I'm talking a couple of weeks ago. Those, those are the days where they're green, where if you're looking to short, if you're looking to buy puts, those are the days to do it. I see that the same thing as today, just the opposite. You know, I don't see this as a sign that, okay, this uptrend that we've had the past few days is going to end because we had this red day. It's just nothing can go straight up. So yeah. um, I see this as, a, as an opportunity to play. I mean, I, I got in on some of these dips, and, and I'm now long, and I've get, been getting beat up on these contracts today so far. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm still, you know, like I'm looking at some monthly calls on Airbnb, on, on names like Roblox that I think, you know, that are down 4% today that I, I think could bounce. There are a lot of good questions. The chat is is really good today. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Um, I I don't I wouldn't say to someone's comment that the market's getting wrecked today. It's a little bit wrecked is a strong word. I mean, well, we're, we're down a little bit. The 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 S and P friendly S and P is green, isn't it? The Nasdaq yeah, is down. Yeah, the queues are flat, but that's a lot we're from Google. Getting, we're not it's a lot from Microsoft. You pull up some of these individual names, and they are like, getting wrecked. Like Tesla? You pull up Tesla. You pull up yeah. Airbnb. You pull up Roblox. You all pull right. up. They're all down four percent. Uh, you pull up Baba. You pull up. Um, let's check in on Ford. Down about two percent. Um, all where, these where, names. Is Ford above or below twenty? I don't know. Right, I think right at it. Let's We're check at it. 20. 20, 30. Uh, Hood down 7%. Like all these names that got way beaten down and then have ripped the past few days that are up like 20% are getting hit today. Yeah. And this is how I think it's going to be. This is why, like, I frankly am not convinced. I don't know what I think, man. I, I really just think we're in, in for a sideways, choppy market, but like, I don't really know what to do here. For long term stuff, dollar cost average, scale in whenever you want. Preferably on a recurring basis, every week, every two weeks, every month, whatever. But in the short term, in the intermediate term, I got nothing. I really don't. I got nothing. I, I, yeah. I mean, that's what's right now with the with the way the market is. I would not be surprised either way. You know, if Qs are up two percent tomorrow, I would not be surprised at all. So yeah, we've been we, we're we're in in a. I'm not going to say like we're in an established uptrend, but we've we've had strength the past few days. That okay? Yeah. Uh, today, Wednesday was just like a little bit of a. Uh, you know, downturn in that overall strength, or we could be down 2% tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, we're still in these choppy markets. Um, but I, I actually think that right now would not be a bad time to try to, and, and maybe we'll talk to like Chris Capri or options, Mike or, or Nick Shaheen today or Nick Shaheen today about yeah. ways you can play the choppy market. Like if I think if I wanted to play a, a straddle on the queues, yeah. right. Where I don't think the queues are going to move 
five or ten percent either direction over the the next month how we can set up a trade where we we can actually benefit um, while markets chop up and down and and don't go very very strongly one way or the other yeah all right let's can you write that down to ask nick because i'm going to forget if we don't write it down. I, I will okay uh i want to do make a give a quick shout out to the benzinga pro news desk we had a number of exclusive headlines this morning uh one of them we're about to learn more about but uh if you were on benzinga pro today and you know what let me let me bring up my pro right now and show you what i'm talking about because the news desk earned their paychecks today this is a news feed on benzinga pro all right it's all headlines from our news desk throughout the day um whenever we publish an exclusive headline the headline is in red by default, it is easier to see. This is a headline that we have that no one else have. I'm just going to go and I'm going to filter for just exclusives, just to look backwards at this morning. Look at these exclusives we have this morning: OLB, GROM, uh, SBEV, GRIL, which we'll get to in a second, uh, GSQD. Uh, these are all these are exclusive headlines that we had that moved stocks this morning. OLB is like the number one trending stock uh, on Benzinga Pro right now in terms of searches. Okay, I'm going to that stock right now. And by the way, I didn't even, didn't even read the headline. We have it. We have the headline right here. Uh, they announced a uh, merchant services transaction volume run rate has reached 1.35 billion dollars. I don't even really know what that means, but look at the price action. That tells you all you need to know. Okay, Let, let's go back to the newsfeed. What time did the OLB headline hit? 7 a.m. OLB. What time did the stock move? Oh, oh, 7.30. You had a half hour head start on this thing. You had all morning. Let's go back to the news feed, okay? G-R-I-L. Uh, Muscle Maker, uh, their subsidiary, Pokemoto, expanded into Florida. Again, headline that we had, no one else had. We'll, we'll be talking to the CEO of Muscle Maker Grill in um, five minutes. But look, look at that green candle. That pop this morning. See the close yesterday? See the pop in the pre-market? Boom. Alpha to be gained right there. And if you go to a one-minute chart, you really zoom in. If you're really fast, you have the chance to play that opening candle. Again, headline in Benzinger Pro. No one else had that. So shout out to the news desk. Uh, crushing it this morning with the number of exclusive headlines um, that we had that you could have had too if you're on Benzinger Pro. And if you're not on Benzinger Pro, I don't know what to tell you. Get on it or don't get on it and then be like everyone else, which is not cool. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk to Michael uh, Roper, who is the CEO of Muscle Maker Grill in five minutes. We'll talk about the news this morning. We'll talk about uh, have you ever had Pokemoto? Do, do, do you know what you know what that is? Pokemoto? Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Hawaiian fast casual. Oh, like a Pokeball. No. Well, like the restaurant. I mean, I've never had from that specific restaurant. No, me neither. That's what I'm curious to to, to find out about it. But uh, um, I have a lot of questions uh, for our next guest. Uh, I have questions about the general restaurant industry right now. We had Starbucks earnings overnight. They were not good. We also had uh, Brinker International earnings. Uh, that's the parent company of Chili's. Uh, those earnings Apparently, we're good. Actually, how is the stock doing? I didn't. I didn't look at the Starbucks stock. Starbucks is like the stock's holding up, though. Was it? It is. is. It? Yeah, it's down 0.7%. Oh, really? 
That Starbucks chart. You guys see the Starbucks? It chart went last down night? and then came up on guidance. I, I I confess to not know why it came back. I didn't look too closely to at the numbers, but look at that. These companies are. You know what they're doing? They're withholding their guidance until the conference call. Yeah. And then then they're throwing it in your face. Wow. Yeah, Darden will be interesting too. I mean, I think the biggest thing for all these companies right now has been like labor. Sure. I think the demand is there. It's just that a lot of their revenues have been getting hit because they don't have the staff to, you know, fill the restaurant up with table. I mean, I, I've yeah. walked into a lot of restaurants um, that are essentially like half empty that are like, yeah, it'll be an hour wait. And we're like, we see tables right there. And they're like, yeah, we just don't have the space for it. I, it it's a multi front war right now. It, yeah. it, it's a, it's uh, and they have rising costs. Right. Of food. Right. It's rising. Foods. It's rising input costs. It's oh, it's rising costs from the food. It's rising costs from the labor. There's like COVID is still a thing. That's like still we're not quite back to the way things were. Uh, you have the delivery companies, you know, uh, doing their thing. You know, the Ubers, the Uber Eats, the DoorDashes of the world. I'm would be curious to see um, see from our next guest how that's impacting the business, but whether it's good or bad, I'm I, I'm not even sure. But it, it it would seem to be a very, at the very least, interesting time. Um, and maybe it depends on where you are in the country too. So again, a lot of questions. We'll, we'll be talking to uh to uh the the CEO of Muscle Maker Grill, Mike Roper, in uh at noon, which is in like two minutes from now. So. Um, stay tuned for that. Wait, Spencer, I got to yeah. say, before we get to our first interview, so yeah. before we started the show, I, we were just waiting around. I played today's Wordle. Okay. I, I just slacked you my... You got it on two guesses? Yeah, but I had no letters on the first one and just guessed the word randomly on the second one. You should buy a lottery ticket. Isn't that pretty lucky? That's very lucky. I've never had that happen. I'm in, like, shock right now. You just played it... Oh, that wasn't just now. That was before. It was... Just, I'm not going to show... You're, yeah, I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to... I don't want to look, man. I'm not going to show it to you. All right. Um, the new uh, million-dollar game. Oh, I also, uh, just another quick note before our first interview. If we go yeah. back to Benzinga Pro real quick. What do you got for me? Um, I, I do, if you look at the cues. QQQ. On the 10-minute uh, you know, candles like we were doing for Bitcoin. Can 15-minute suffice? Sure. Okay. Last, like, 15 minutes, you see that little green candle? That guy? Yeah. Was that you? I don't know. Go back to Bitcoin. <sighs> All right. Yes, they're correlated. Is that your point? That's my point. I'm just just a, a, well. My theory is not that my conspiracy theory wasn't that they're correlated. That's that's not that's that's, that's not no, debatable. Yeah, it's just that something. I don't know. I don't know who we got to talk to about it. Who we can get? How we can get to the bottom of this? But right at nine thirty seems a little. Seems a little coincidental. All right. I'm popping on the headphones. That means it is time for our first guest of the day. We're talking restaurants. We're talking fast casual. We're talking muscles. Mike Roper is the CEO of Muscle Maker Grill, ticker G-R-I-L. Let's give Mike the special intro. Mike Roper, welcome to the show. How are we doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, all right. So I, I I briefly mentioned uh, the the news this morning the the expansion uh, uh, into Florida. Uh, but correct me if I screw anything up and elaborate for us on that, please. On on what that news was exactly. Sure. So this morning we announced we uh, entered the, with the Pokemoto brand into the Florida market, and what that means is we sold three new franchise agreements. 
um, for the Lee and Collier counties part of Florida, as well as we also announced we're opening up three corporate locations, two in Miami area and one in the Jacksonville market as well. So we're starting to move into that that state in a big way. Is franchising is is that the is that the model here? Yeah, that that's our model. Yeah. That's our strategy. Yeah. We're focused strictly on franchising right now. Now I say that we also will yeah. add some corporate locations and key markets to see them, right? To start the franchising process, but it's all about franchising Pokemon Road right now. Wait, why Florida? You know, it's it's a unique market. It's it's got a lot of people. You know, let me back up a little bit. Poke, right? Which is what we serve is a, is a is a Hawaiian Poke Bowl, right? Right. And um, you know that attract it's attractive to basically millennials, Gen Zs. Right. You know, that that younger crowd, if you I, I love right? poke. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, I never even knew what poke was just a few months ago because like I'm an older dude. Right. Oh, I, such a boomer. <laughs> I went in there and I, I tried it and I loved it. I fell in love with it. I came home. I told my daughters that are both in college um, and they were like, what are you talking about, dad? Everybody eats this stuff. It's fantastic. Right? <laughs> so it made me feel really old then at that stage. But uh, yeah. Uh, but that's why Florida is attractive to us. Look, there's a lot of, you know, people from out on the out on the West Coast, you know, that come into Florida. There's a lot of people up and down the East Coast, a lot of, you know, the population that's just kind of, you know, into that whole process. They're look, looking yeah. for healthy foods and, and uh, fresh foods. Well, if it makes you feel better, I, I I first I probably discovered poke like five years ago. So it, it, I'm, I'm not that far in the grand scheme of things. I'm not that far ahead of you. So, <laughs> um, OK, uh, I have many questions, Mike, as we were just talking sure. about just about what what is your business like right now? Um, there's a lot of challenges. You've got uh, COVID is still a thing. You've mm-hmm. got uh, food inflation. You've got labor costs and a shortage, which probably go hand in hand. So g- give us a state of the business right now from your perspective. Sure. I can look at a couple different areas. So let's let's talk food costs right now, commodities, right? Sure. That, that's on everybody's radar as it is. You know, Unfortunately, we are seeing some inflationary pressures in food. But Pokemoto for us, it's a little bit different, right? We've got a lot of options. When you go to Poke, you can go down the line and choose all these different options of toppings, right? Sure. And so if one topping gets kind of super expensive, we can replace it with another topping, you know, that might be there that might be not as expensive. So we're able to kind of control costs there to a certain degree. Now, we did actually take a price increase here um, at the beginning of the year, as a lot of restaurants did to kind of offset some of these things. Um, not as big of a price increase as what people may think. Uh, that was out there, but uh, we did take a price increase to try to offset that. Uh, so that's kind of the commodity side of the equation for us. Labor yeah. um, is actually unique for us. We we are not having any issues whatsoever attracting talent and retaining talent at like the corporate level. Um, you know, so you got your corporate office and you got your field teams, right? No issues right. there whatsoever. We had virtually no turnover. Where we were running into some issues is at store level right? Restaurant level um, with, you know, the, the crew in the restaurants. We were having yeah. some issues there for a little while, but our model only requires one to three people at any given time working in the restaurant. We don't have cooking and all that stuff. So it's not as big of an impact to us that we're seeing out there from, you know, that other uh, concepts might be experiencing. Yeah, that's interesting because like I, I, I'm worried. It's the thing I can't believe I have to think about it now, but when I want to go to a restaurant, I have to think, oh, shoot, like, I wonder if they're even, like, open. I wonder if, like, and I, people, like, freak out about, like, paying an extra quarter for a Chipotle. Who cares? Like, honestly, like, if if your food, if your food cost is going to go up an extra dollar, then you can't afford it in the first place. Okay. I, I, I think, I think the, but the, but the labor end of it is probably the more important equation. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I would think so. So, 
Uh, you are. You said you're. You're not experiencing any any real problems on the corporate level, on the on the mm-hmm. restaurant level, maybe a little bit more. Uh, but has it like how was it how has it changed in the last six months? We just saw yesterday what four point three million Americans quit their jobs in in December, which was down a smidge from November, but still right. a lot of people. Right. <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's nothing to sneeze at. Right. So um, I, I, how is has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? From our perspective, and again, two different areas. You've got the corporate yeah. office, and then you've got the store level. At store level, we are getting more applications than we were getting six months ago. Six months ago, especially our locations in you know up in the Northeast, you know, New York and all that stuff, we weren't getting anybody you yeah. know, that was coming through. Now we are getting applications that are coming in and we're able to fill those positions. Um, from a corporate level, again, we haven't had any real turnover or anything. And I think that's really a, um, you know, indicative of people not, you know, leaving the company because of where we're growing, right? I mean, we're growing pretty rapidly right now. I think they see a lot of opportunity. So that's really important to a lot of people when they're out looking for jobs and everything is where can they grow, right? And where yeah. can they you know, really move forward with the company? And that's pretty much what they see with us. Uh, this is a good question. We were talking uh, this morning on, on our morning show about uh, like McDonald's and like robotics. Uh, RJ wants to know any plans to bring any robotics at the store level? <laughs> Not yet on <laughs> robotics, right? From that perspective, okay. although we do have self-ordering kiosks in our Pokemoto locations, right? Okay. So we're, we're getting a little okay. bit more advanced technology wise, but not to the robotic stage yet. Uh, so this is all as it pertains to Pokemoto, but as far as the parent company, Muscle Maker Grill, and those locations, is, is it the same same general mm-hmm. trend? Same general trend um, okay. at the Muscle Maker locations, the restaurants there. Um, you know, we've got some pretty stable crews. Those locations have been around for a while, right? We've got some pretty stable and loyal, you know, team members there. And as long as we take care of them, they don't have seem you know much of a turnover issue. What What is your geographic footprint right now, just across the board? So we're kind of spread out a little bit, but for the most part, we're located in the Northeast, right? Up in yeah. the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts kind of markets. Um, we do have uh, military bases with Muscle Maker Grill. So we've got some military bases in Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Georgia, Maryland, you know, those type of areas as well. But for the most part, we're, we're up in the Northeast is kind of our focus uh, today. Okay. And that's for both, that's for Muscle Maker and Poke model. Yeah, that's mostly muscle maker. Poke, um, you know, we are open in 19 locations now. We're in six okay. states. So we are in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to forget one here, so I apologize probably, but we're in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Maryland, Virginia, Georgia, and Connecticut. There, I got all six, right? Okay. Um, and then coming soon to Mississippi, Florida, and New York, right? Nice. Um, okay, so I, I love Poke, and uh, I admittedly have a pretty low low bar when it comes to sushi i like sushi so much but i i have wondered like this is a fast casual sushi option essentially right so like where do you source that from so cisco is one of our largest distributors that's out there right they handle about 80 percent of our products when you start getting into more of the specific items like the you know the ahi tuna and the salmon and some of the you know seaweed and all that stuff that comes from different japanese supply houses Okay. So really, if you got any like Japanese restaurant present that's out there, they're getting that from somewhere. Right. And so we go work with those guys. We do have uh, relationships yeah. with tuna and salmon suppliers, right, that bring it to us, you know, directly. So, you know, we've got the whole distribution system kind of worked out. Okay. Uh, any plans for this from our chat again? Any plans to expand to Canada? Nothing for Canada right now. Um, you know, if something popped up that, you know, we had a franchisee up there that wanted to come in, you know, from Canada, a big enough player, yeah. sure we'd entertain it, but we're trying to really focus on everything east of the Mississippi and the state of Texas. It's kind of our, our sweet spot for franchising today. 
I mean, just as far as the, the stock, and again, this is the, this is from the chat. Uh, are, are there plans down the road, or maybe soon, for for a potential reverse split to get above the one dollar requirement? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get into those kind of specifics or whatever, just because you know we've had internal discussions. But really, we want to execute our business plan, and if we execute the business plan, we think things will kind of take care of themselves. When you take a look at franchising for Pokemoto, that's where all the growth really is. And we've added now 30 franchises in the last couple months. I mean, and, and the way that works is you get, you know, the franchise fees up front, so you get cash flow up front. And then about six to eight months later, these, these locations start to open. And then you get ongoing royalties from that perspective. And we get 6% of net sales and rebates and things like that. So sure. you know, we're pretty confident that business plan, you know, can grow. We've got... And our management team, we've got a lot of experience in franchising. We've been with, with concepts that have opened over thousands of locations per year, you know, or whatever in our past. And so we understand how to build the infrastructure. We understand how to, you know, do the sales process to, you know, you know, support everybody, do marketing, all those type of things. Right. You know, that's right. our expertise. And so that's what we're really going to focus on more than anything else right now. I, I guess, you, I mean, you just answered sort of the benefits of the franchise model, but what, why not go the other way and just go go no franchises and go all well, centrally? Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm just going to be brutally honest here, right? Most franchisors, right, they actually own somewhere between 10 to 15% of the entire chain as a franchise or owned entity. So they can kind of get experience in the locations and use them for test stores and those type of things. Reality is franchisor run the location as a franchisee right if you think about it a franchisee it's 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 an it's not an absentee owner you know there's somebody who's in the restaurant all the time they've got their you know their savings tied into it everything else they tend to run it a little bit differently than a corporate location might run it not that we don't run them successfully you know i'm not saying that but um you know if you start looking at the capital requirements and then the issue that you know you got to worry about running it and you won't run it as well as a franchisee it just makes sense to keep focusing on the franchisee portion of the equation right Mike Roper is the CEO of Muscle Maker Grill uh, uh, and their subsidiary, Pokemoto. Um, I guess as we wrap it up here, Mike, what are the, aside from the stuff we already talked about, what sort of uh, challenges or even tailwinds are, are facing the fast casual space that you live in right now? Yeah, I think, you know, you guys have mentioned it earlier. I think we're still facing a little bit of the COVID, you know, issue. You've, you still got in some location, show vaccine cards and, you know, yeah. proof of that stuff before you can get in with your, you know, not only your customers and employees, that's still out there. That's starting to get better um, as it's, as we're starting to hopefully turn the corner on that again now. Um, we all thought that was happening with, you know, the base COVID, if you want to say a little while ago, yeah. then then this new version came out. So hopefully, you know, we can get through that. That's that's pretty much the biggest headwind, I think, because that then ties into a lot of different areas, right? It ties into inflation, it ties into labor, it ties into, you know, everything that's there. I think once that kind of clears up, you'll really see um, you know, restaurant, retail, all those type of, you know, hospitality, um, you know, companies start to really thrive once that happens. All right. There, there's a lot of questions from the chat. I did not expect this. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Dimitri wants to know if you, uh, are you plans to expand in Brooklyn? Um, we are looking at, well, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, there's, there's more likely than not, that will end up being a corporate location. Um, as we seed markets to do franchising down the road. But yes, we are looking at Brooklyn. We're looking we're looking all throughout the whole New York area, right? The New York City okay. area. Um, it's, it's a good area. It's got a lot of the right demographics that are in there. It's got the right densities. Um, so it's beyond just Brooklyn. It's, it's you know, it's all the other, you know, boroughs and stuff that are yeah. in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then another question about the Saudi Arabia deal, when that will materialize. Yeah. So a couple of things with Saudi Arabia. We signed that for Muscle Maker Grill Restaurants back in November. 
uh, for the 40 location deal. Now that's a development deal, right? Yeah. And so to get through where you can start selling franchises, who is the, you know, the, the parent does that, meaning the Kuwaiti partner, they go out and they sell the franchises into Saudi Arabia and do the development on our behalf. Um, they had to get first, I forgot the exact term, but you had to like kind of get the contracts and everything all normalized, you know, into the country. There was a the specific term for it. I can't remember what it was, but that all just took place here in January. So now we're just yeah. now starting to kick that off. Awesome. Mike Roper, CEO, must make a grill, Pokemoto. Uh, Mike, a pleasure to chat. Uh, I look when, whenever there are developments with the company or just with the, with the space in on the macro level, sure. would love to check in and see how things are shaking out. Have a good one. Right. Thanks for coming on today. Man. Yep. Have a good one. All right. Um, Aaron, I want to know when, when did you first, do you even remember when you first discovered what Poke was? Maybe you don't. I remember cause I was like, what deconstructed sushi? This makes no sense. Oh, it's delicious. When I was in college, there was actually so like last year. Yeah, there was actually a uh, sushi burrito place. I hate that. That opened up that had poke bowls. I hate the sushi. Um, I, yeah, it wasn't great. I don't think the place is in business. I anymore. hate it when foods are shaped like other foods that they're not supposed to be. Like what? Like like I saw like a sushi pizza once. Like no, no. About like a calzone. Pizza pizza, sushi sushi, calzone. Burrito burrito. Don't make one food look like another food that's not so, or another color that's not supposed to be. I hate and, and you see these cakes on like TikTok. These cakes that are like like look like, like watermelons. Like yeah, that was no. a big social media trend a couple no. a year or two ago. No, I, I I will I will die on this hill. Okay. Yeah, I will die on this hill. Okay, I'm probably the only person that even cares about this, but I have opinions clearly. Um, okay, you know what we should do. We should bring our next guest. We got. A, I, I said off top. We got a lot of guests today. Um, our next guest is a uh, entrepreneur. He is an investor. Uh, he is a uh, a mentor, uh, and he knows a lot about business. He's Jeff Hoffman. He's the chairman of the Global Entrepreneurship Network. He's a mentor on the show Going Public. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, we have partnered with Going Public to. Uh, showcase and highlight some of the cool companies and uh people on that show i'm going to put the link it's in the description already but i'll put the link in the chat it's a show it's basically following several early stage companies as they raise money you think of it like a shark tank meets amazing race that's kind of, that's actually i i don't know if that's in the Marketing materials, but I may have just made that up, but I'm 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 going to stick with that. So um, I like it. Yeah, it's Shark Tank meets Amazing Race, and our next guest, Jeff Hoffman, is a, a resource for these companies on on, on this show. So um, I'm going to give Jeff the special intro as well because hey, why the heck not? Let's bring him on the show. Oh, where's my intro? <laughs> Jeff Hoffman, welcome to Benzinga Live. How are we doing? Thank you. You know, I'm okay with the Shark Tank uh, meets Amazing Race, but I'm not okay with the sushi meets burrito. That's yeah, pretty see? much everything that's wrong with this country right there. That is everything that's wrong with this country. It see, is. I'm glad, I'm glad Jeff agrees with me. Anyway, uh, Jeff, I um, it's a pleasure to chat with you. I was watching you on the most recent episode of Going Public. Uh, I'll show some some footage of that uh, as we talk here. Um, and you had a lot of good like 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 nuggets, like w w nuggets of wisdom on like what you need if you're like pitching someone on a business idea. And so I was hoping you could like share some of those nuggets with us. 
Absolutely. And, and you know, I am thrilled to be part of the show. We're, we're making investment accessible, giving the education and teaching companies how to scale. Uh, and so that's the part I hope your listeners will uh, appreciate as well, that there are some really specific things you have to do right in order to grow a company. And that's what I, on the show, you'll see me advising those companies. I've been through it uh, in a number of startups that I was with grew. So some of those tips, uh, first of all, a brand has to resonate and uh, you have to have a brand. So many companies have never shaped a brand. So it's not clear what they stand for, how they distinguish themselves from any, everybody else and why you should do business with them. The brand has to be three things, distinguishing, memorable, and powerful. So that's one of the things I've been working with those companies on. And the messaging needs to be directed to your customer, not to the planet Earth. We don't broadcast our message. We narrow cast it to the person we know is going to love and buy our product. So that's an example of some of the things we've been heavily focused on on this show. Maybe I should I should have started with a, a question about your background. So, sure. so let's go back to that. What is your background? What what, what gives you the 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 authority on this? The, yeah. Those are two different questions, but um, you're right. <laughs> in terms, of, I could ask you guys the same thing. I guess you're right. <laughs> so, uh, background: I am a longtime tech entrepreneur. Um, I uh, have been building startups uh, really my whole career. At the beginning of the internet, I was part of a number of well-known startups, Priceline.com, Booking.com. We have built a company called Ubid.com. So I was part of companies that scaled and started as small startups and grew globally. Uh, the, 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 you know, Booking Holdings is now does travel in 190 different countries. And I grew some of the other companies I was involved in the same way. So We've been through failure. We've been through IPOs, acquisitions. I've been CEO of public companies before. And in the end, what I was able to do was look backwards. I wasn't smart enough to know this stuff going forward. Looking backwards, I kind of compiled a list of here's all the stuff that worked. Our companies grew because we got these things right. A great example of that is, you know, is leadership. I think for me, my, my businesses didn't take off till I realized, till I realized my job as a CEO is not to run a company, it's to go out and find people smarter than me and get out of their way so that they can build the company. That's one of the big lessons that we share on the show. I, I'm personally more interested in, in hearing about the failures because I think you can learn a lot more from that. So can, can you share with us like something you've learned from, from one of your failures? Absolutely. We had a product that, and you do have, you do learn. We do an autopsy. We always call it, yeah. you know, we say, let's dissect the body and see why it died before we start the next thing. Yeah. Um, and, one of the most vivid failures for me was a product that we built that we really thought stay-at-home moms were going to use. Here's the big mistake, the reason for the failure. None of us were actually stay-at-home moms. And we spoke in a language and messaging and marketing that seemed perfectly clear to us and was clear to none of them. And I didn't know that until the company failed. And I reached out to a couple of people that never bought from us but left an email. And I said, I asked that question, why didn't you buy? And she's like, dude, I have no idea what language you guys even speak. So mm -hmm. the big lesson was don't be blinded by your own brilliance. The only opinion that matters is a stay-at-home mom if that's who your product's for. So instead of building your product in your office, get out of your office and go talk to some moms before you design yeah. a product. That's why we failed. So as far as the companies that you've seen that, you, that you've worked with on, on the show so far, what, what excites you the most? Well, you know, we have put we put a lot of time into picking those companies. So 
they're all pretty groundbreaking in their approach. So I really like all of them. For example, with Treble, I'll just give you a couple examples. The music company, yeah. they're, you know, they're creating access to music for the other 95% of the planet Earth that can't afford to pay for music. And I like that. Um, that's an innovative approach. Everybody else is trying to make money in the space. <clears throat> Next Gen T is trying to get people careers in the shortest, least expensive path that they can get and reskilling and recareering people which is a great opportunity. Proven is solving the skincare problem by using AI and hundreds of thousands of studies of women to get a mix right for you. And Hammett is a company that delivers a lot more than just a handbag. It delivers its entire personality uh, with every sale that it makes. Well, I'm excited about all these companies. I love working with them. What do you think is the thing that like entrepreneurs screw up the most frequently? What's the most frequently? Uh, what's, the, what's the most frequent? Well, uh, I will tell you, they blame their failure or uh, on lack of funding. They always say, "Yeah, we ran out of money." You ran out of money because you didn't sell anything. Yeah. The thing they screw up the most is they are in fact not good at sales. They're engineers, they're scientists, they're designers, and now suddenly they're a CEO. Um, you need real sales, real marketing, professional help there. That's the thing I see they screw up the most. Uh, I was hoping you could tell us a, a little bit about the Global Entrepreneurship Network. Sure, I'd love to. That is a nonprofit I'm the, that I'm the chairman of. We created this for a really simple mission, to help anybody, anywhere launch and scale a company. We're trying to let people get economic independence and freedom all over the world by starting businesses. So we teach the principles of entrepreneurship. We build ecosystems, and we're now doing that, I'm proud to say, in 200 countries. Uh, and then from the investment side, you are also an investor, obviously, in addition to being an entrepreneur. So what do you look for? You're obviously a fundamentals guy. You're looking at the company. You're looking at the people, the product, the market fit. But like, what do you look for in a company when you're considering an investment? I assume you're not like looking at, looking at the chart. You know what I mean? No, you, you're right, <laughs> because it's just a chart. Uh, uh, one day I took a for a pro forma, a spreadsheet someone gave me. I put it on the middle of my table and I told all these founders, I said, let's just look at the spreadsheet for a while. And there was this like crickets chirping silence. And they're like, uh, Mr. Hoffman, it's not doing anything. I said, exactly. All you guys have presented me as a spreadsheet, not a plan. The answer to your question is that I wrote on my door as a CEO, as an investor as well, years ago, I wrote these words. Your ideas are welcome here, but execution is worshipped everybody's got ideas and nobody what i look for is literally the 90 day blocking and tackling you know dirty and gritty execution plan how are you actually going to do this thing it's a great idea but convince me that you can actually execute it that's where some of the world's best ideas are laying in a dusty graveyard because they were never executed and there are some really average products that you and i use because they executed well and got their product to market that is a uh Wow, that was a deep point. That was, that's making me question everything right now. Um, <laughs> Jeff Hoffman uh, is the chairman of the Global Entrepreneurship Network. He's also a mentor on this show going public. Again, links to that uh, are in the description of this video. Uh, it's a weekly series airing uh, on goingpublic.com. Uh, episode three was out uh, yesterday, right? Today's Wednesday. So yeah. You're um, and then uh, I guess like looking looking ahead here, Jeff, what 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 can we expect? Like, at, well, you know. I'm watching this show every week. So sure. what can I expect to see from you coming up? So I am going to continue to work uh, with the companies on the show. I think you got it right. You're going to see their journey. How do you raise money? How do you build a team? How do you prepare for scale? 
Um, I'll be working with them on all those things that you'll see coming up. But I'm uh, pretty tough on these companies because we want them to win. And I'm really going to uh, beat them up on that execution plan. Are you focused on what's the most important things you need to do to grow your company? And are you prepared that through this show and through these companies' own work, uh, that if we start getting super high demand, God forbid, your company, everybody wants your product. Are you ready to handle uh, that explosive growth? We're going to get the companies ready, and you're going to see how on the upcoming episodes of the show. And then I can't have you on and not ask you about, you know, you mentioned being involved in, in Priceline, which is now booking. Um, I, I would love to ask you just about that business right now. Obviously, huge challenge in, in the wake of the pandemic, but it's it's come back a little bit, not not to where it was. What is your assessment of where of of, of that of the comeback in, in travel right now? Yeah, so uh, that, that's a topic that's obviously very near and dear to my heart. The yeah. pent up demand is massive. People want to get out. They've been stuck at home too long and they want to go. Travel has changed, no doubt. I think business travel will never come back to the levels that it was at because people will do what we're doing now. They'll do a lot more electronic business. But mm -hmm. leisure travel, as soon as people feel safe going, they'll go again. And for a company like Booking, uh, you know, the, the predominant customer is leisure travel uh, and, and obviously hotel booking. So I do believe the business will recover every, you know, if I, I get that every time we feel like we're getting close, there's a variant or another change. Uh, but I think it's going to come back. People want to travel. Yeah, I mean, I, I can attest to that. I was sort of surprised at my own, myself last year. I looked back at the year and I was like, well, wow, I flew five times last year. Yeah. I did a lot of, but but yeah, I, I think I think your point is, is is probably the correct one as far as the, the leisure travel will come back with a vengeance if it hasn't already and the business travel maybe. Yeah, it did on the holidays. Yeah. We saw a lot of leisure travel on the holidays. Unfortunately, the airlines didn't have the staff to manage it, but people people tried to go. Yeah. Um, awesome. Jeff Hoffman, it has been a pleasure to chat with you today. I am very much looking forward to uh, seeing you drop some truth bombs on uh, some of these companies and uh, and 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 give them the uh, – we always say at Benzinga, we always – you know, radical candor, right? So it's like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. Uh, and so I, I, I look forward to, to, to seeing that uh, and seeing you on the show. Thanks for coming on Benzinga Live today. Thank you for having us. Join us on the jersey journey, and hopefully people will come click to invest. Thanks again. All right. And, again, the links are in the description. Uh, they're in the chat. They're on the screen. Uh, at the very least, I, you should check out the show. I, I, I can't think of a show that's done this before where, as I said off the top, it, it is Amazing Race meets Shark Tank. Shark Tank is one of my guilty pleasures. I'm not going to... I, I, I'm not even guilty. It's not, it's a non-guilty pleasure. Uh, and this show basically takes that to the extreme. Um, cause shark tank is obviously in a room static and this show is very much on the go. Um, so check it out. Seriously. Going public.com. Um, what's up, man? How are we doing? What is up dog? What's up dog? Hey, all right. We got a few minutes here. We got like two minutes before we're going to bring on our next guest. Uh, and before we lose all track of the day, Aaron, we have to do a crypto update. Where's my heat map? There it is. Crypto update sponsored by Voyager. Let's do it. All right. Full disclosure, I've not uh, refreshed this map in like 
15 minutes, so the numbers could be a little bit out of date. Remember, this is a rolling 24-hour map that shows the performance going back 24 hours. So you see mostly right on the screen, not necessarily indicative of the last uh, of the morning um, or the last few minutes, but um, that's where we're at right now. Bitcoin over the last 24 hours. Actually, I'll refresh it. Let's refresh and get a little bit more of a real-time price for you because uh, the map, unfortunately, does not refresh this by the way is on benzinga.com slash markets slash cryptocurrency we didn't move them we moved the map down to the uh lower part of the screen hey uh our favorite near protocol is on the green now but Woo! bitcoin down three and a half percent eth the same binance coin cardano solano all the same um but we all know aaron's theory whatever the heat map does the market will do i don't know maybe that wasn't his theory if you want some free bitcoin it's very easy to get y'all very easy to get. All you got to do is go to the Voyager app, download it in the App Store, use the offer code ZING when you make your account, fund your account with $100, that's the minimum, make a trade, you do that, and they'll send you some free Bitcoin. It's not that hard. If you want. And if you don't want to do it, you do you. You live your life. How about that? Um, sorry, I'm catching up on the chat. I know I missed a few things here. Uh, Christian was talking about PayPal. Yeah, sorry, Christian. I, I, I was able to catch what you said for a minute, but I um, really have to figure out what I'm doing with this PayPal disaster. I had my finger on a put last night. decided to sell a tenth of the position. Um, wait, so Christian, remind us again. What, you you sold puts? I'm, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, do you know what Christian did? On PayPal, um, he was bullish into he was bullish. Right. So did you did you did you buy was it did you bought call you bought calls? You, I, I'm not sure what you maybe you bought the stock. I don't know. Um, obviously this sucks if you're bullish PayPal. And then this is why holding holding through earnings is really really challenging, really challenging. It can be brutal. Um, frankly, that's not. That's not a like. If you're gonna trade stocks, you gotta have more more to it than that. There's gotta be more to it than just earnings plays because it's a binary event, frankly. And yeah, you can provide insurance to the market, play the expected move, get paid nine times out of ten, but that one time is gonna is gonna destroy you. So uh, it's tough out there. I I like I said earlier. I short term, intermediate term, I got nothing. Flip a coin for all I know. Long term, you guys know I'm a perma bull. I invest every single month. I dollar cost average, um, but that's long. That's that's long, long term. For now, I really don't know. I'm scratching my head just like everyone else. And Christian Gallagher with the reminder. Thank you, Christian. Just smash that like button. You can use your finger. You can use your elbow. Use your fist. You can use your face for all I care. I don't care. But hitting the like really does help us within the eyes of YouTube. It sounds dumb. Trust me. More likes help more people find our content. And the more people find our content, um, the bigger the community gets and the better it gets. So, uh, Speaking of community, who out in the community right now has any good, uh, good trades I can put on? I've got some capital to deploy. <laughs> Uh, we still have not hit that mark needed for the ski trip yet. So <laughs> Wait, I thought we're almost there, though. We're working toward that goal. I know. Well, if I would have just stopped after the Google trade, I'd be a lot closer, but I threw some dumb. You know, it's like when, once you're playing with house money, then you like get a little bit more aggressive. Oh, and then no, no, 
yeah. do that. Uh, Jay Rice. We'll, we'll get we'll get Jay on. Um, all right. I would love Spencer. to get Jay on. We have, we have a guest waiting, though. Time for our next guest. We're bringing on Christian Lee, the CFO of Transfix. A very interesting time to be talking to Christian because Transfix is all in the supply chain logistics space. Um, and, and we're still seeing some impacts from that in the overall market. So I'm excited to talk to Christian, um, talk more about that. Transfix is merging with G Squared, Ascend, uh, a SPAC. So going to see Transfix on the market soon. Without uh, further ado, let's go ahead and give Christian the very special intro. Oh, yeah. And bring him on. Oh, yeah. Who's doing that? Am I doing that? I don't know. Do we have a producer? Do it. Am Do we I have anyone it? here? Is it just, you know, we have I think, no. okay, there's a big snowstorm coming in. Christian probably knows about the snowstorm. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's logistics. Let's get, the, get, get him. Mr. Lee, thank you for taking time out of your Wednesday to join us on Benzinga Live. Sorry about the delayed intro. We're dealing with some supply chain issues over here. <laughs> supply chain. <laughs> we, can help with that. we can help with that. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, do you want to just give a brief rundown, kind of elevator pitch on, on what Transfix is and what it is that y'all do? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, basically, uh, at our core, we use technology to help better match uh, shippers, so large companies who need to move goods with uh, the trucking companies that, that help them move them. Um, there is a, a pretty large imbalance in the U.S. You have very, very large shippers. And generally speaking, the trucking companies are quite small. There's four million trucks and uh, a million trucking companies. And so they're not well suited to interact with each other. So you need people to help uh, bring them together and make matches. Historically, that's been done sort of with telephones and email and analog ways of doing it. And so eight years ago, Drew and Jonathan basically said, what if we could do this with technology? What if we could build sort of machine learning algorithms that help better match supply and demand, take a lot of the inefficiency that exists out of the system, uh, better for shippers, better for truckers, and then basically automate a lot of the traditionally manual tasks that go into how a load actually moves around the country. And so we've been doing that for the past eight years. The growth has been tremendous. Uh, and so that's our core business from there. We've launched software that helps uh, shippers run their business more efficiently and uh, carriers run their business more efficiently. So the ultimate goal is a platform that brings all of this together to create uh, efficiencies in the supply chain. Wait, I, I sorry, a question. Um, sorry to interrupt you, Aaron. Do you, do you work with trains at all with, the, with, with that? Uh, right now, it is just uh, okay. domestic freight. Probably good because I literally read an article about train robberies, how that's a thing. <laughs> no, seriously. I read, an article, I know, I read it that, this morning. Train yeah. robberies are back in vogue. So it, it, it's, yeah. Okay. I don't, sorry. I think that's been a little media. Look, rail little is a big part of the equation. Um, and, you know, I think there's, you know, if you look at our longer term roadmap, certainly intermodal is a big piece of that. But today okay. it is just uh, trucks. Sorry. Okay. I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> um, so, so logistically, you know, no pun intended. What does this look? You know, is this automation AI in in the warehouses, in the trucks, both? Um, you know, walk me through that. Yeah. So basically, there, there's two ways that we we use the technology. So the first, as I said, is the matching technology. And so traditionally, when you had, you know, someone needed to move loads, they would call up a broker and say, "Hey, I have a hundred loads that move." from A to B, and then that person would sort of go find some trucks to meet that capacity. 
as you can imagine, if it was as it's being done by human beings, there's lots of inefficiency. It's, it's hard to make matches. Um, and so what we did was say, look, we can actually start to take, you know, the hundreds of thousands of loads that company A needs to move. And we have, you know, tens of thousands of carriers on our platform who represent hundreds of thousands of trucks. And basically we collect data on every single load that moves, every single load we bid on that we don't win, every single load that we do win. There's a lots of third party data. And so one of the things that has happened is there's a huge amount of data that exists in this industry that has never really been captured, structured and used in the way that we're using it. So we basically feed that into our algorithms to the matching algorithms. As you can imagine with machine learning, every transaction, the machine gets smarter and smarter. So you continue to make better and better matches. So we are literally however shippers want to move their goods. Right. So however they sort of go out to RFP. Sometimes they do it that day. Sometimes they want a 12 month contract. Sometimes they have mini bids. Sometimes they use tech. Sometimes they don't. Whatever way they're doing, they put that out to the market. We capture that. We organize it, structure it. And then we have, as I said, hundreds of thousands of trucks on the platform. And we let them tell us, here's the lanes we want to be in. And then we have historical data, who's good, who's not, in what lanes are they good. And so we can make those, the machine makes those matches. Um, it's important to understand that we don't just let the machine do that, right? We have human beings who are looking at it to make sure, and the machine will give a confidence level of this matches, you know, a 10 out of 10, a six out of 10, and someone can look at it. And so it's not just the machine running by itself. It's the machine doing a bunch of work. And then with a human being, you can say, yes, this makes sense or it doesn't. So that's sort of the, the, the high level, how you make the sort of matches more efficient. Below that, there's a lot of technology in how you automate things. And I'll just give one simple example um, that, that sounds very basic, uh, but is actually a huge amount of work in the system is, is uh, how you book appointments, right? So typically what happens is a shipper needs to move a load, you connect them to a carrier, and then the trick is what time can that carrier show up at the warehouse? When will they be unloaded? When will they be loaded? And, and that is a surprising amount of both effort because you're trying to the the warehouse may or may not be actually owned by the shipping company so it might be a third-party warehouse you have to figure out you know when that carrier can go in when they can drop off when they can leave and so that's when people talk about idle time and truck drivers just sitting and waiting it's because they're waiting at a warehouse to unload and reload so what we have done is built predictive algorithms that say look we've now delivered in this warehouse 10,000 times. We know that between the hours of X and Y is when it's going to be most efficient. We know that if we get here this time, the carrier can get in and out quickly. And so we can predictively do it. And then we sort of reach out to them, you know, an automated email or text or whatever else. And so you basically both get rid of, you know, the potential for huge wait times and you make it easier to actually make that appointment time. And that's just one small example. There's, you know, dozens of things like that throughout the life of a load that have historically required huge amounts of time that you can begin to automate, bring technology into to make it more efficient for the carriers and the shippers in the warehouse. Got it. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, and I think for our audience, our audience is mostly retail investors and day traders. Uh, I think there's two interesting parts here. Obviously, the first uh, and foremost being that transfixes go in public via SPAC, ticker, uh, you know, GSQD. Do you, do you know what the new ticker will be yet? Uh, TF. TF, Transfix. That's good. That's a good tipper. Yep. Um, the second part that I think is interesting is I imagine that Transfix 
um, that you guys have some some kind of insights into the global shipping market, kind of what you're seeing on a macro level that may allow us as investors uh, to, to make better decisions. Yeah. So again, we focus right now domestically. Uh, global is in our long-term plan, but but most of our insights are going to be uh, domestically. Um, I would actually uh, tell you there is a, a great podcast that we put out. Uh, there's a person on our company named Justin Mays who does a podcast of sort of you know the week in logistics that does have a lot of insights. So if your uh, listeners or viewers are looking for something, uh, it's actually pretty insightful. It gives a lot of sense of what we're seeing. Um, and the nature of this industry is incredibly dynamic, right? So whatever I told you now may or may not be true, you know, or still accurate, you know, two months from now, because things change so quickly in what's going on. Um, you know, what I would say is, is it's probably not so dissimilar from what you read in the headlines that there is, uh, you know, the rates continue to be elevated, there continues to be uh a you know substantial demand for trucking services lots of goods still moving around even coming out of the holiday there was a question of you know was this going to taper off um you know so far what what we've seen is you know in, continued high levels of demand um and you know i think when you look at it no one has a crystal ball but it does seem unlikely that we get out of the sort of supply chain issues certainly anytime soon probably takes kind of throughout 2022 to continue to unravel some of the mess. So let's take, uh, I mean, I don't know what, what I mean, we have Amazon reporting earnings tomorrow afternoon. Let's just say, do you think shipping has been strong the past three months or, or, or not so strong or sorry, not the past three months, the, the, the three months before that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I won't guess as to Amazon's earnings. Um, no, well, the company, specific company aside, just uh, global, sh you know, not global, I guess domestic shipping. I think, look, I mean, our sense is it's been pretty strong across the board that there was a whole, you know, Q4 was obviously a lot of work of, of retailers, you know, filling uh, stores, uh, getting things ready for the holiday season. Um, I think overall what you saw is probably less impact than people were fearing because of the work that many of these retailers and other folks did in advance to sort of have goods in on in stock on shelves. And so what we saw in Q4 was uh, a, a lot of volume for that happening and kind of getting ready for that big holiday rush. Um, and now you're basically seeing a lot of work and restocking. Yep. And I'm seeing in the comments, the podcast is called the Transfix Take Podcast. You yeah. can go check that out wherever you exactly. get podcasts. Um, Spotify, Apple Music, et cetera, um, or Apple Podcasts, sorry. So you, you said, so so Transfix, you guys have been doing this for about eight years, correct? Yep. And when was the decision made that, hey, look, we, we want to go public? So we started thinking about it and talking about it in late 2020. Um, and really what happened is uh, if you look at sort of the beginning of 2020, you know, Demand was strong, continued growth. And then you went into kind of March, April, and literally trucks stopped moving across the country. And, you know, people said, wait, you know, where is this going to end? What's, what is COVID going to mean for the world? And, you know, we're now 18 months in and we're still in COVID. Um, but as that happened, sort of demand went way down and a lot of people pulled back. Uh, Transfix, because of the investments that we had made previously in the technology, 
sales and marketing, et cetera, you know, as demand started to come back in Q4 of 2020, um, we saw a tremendous amount of uh, interest in the solution that we were providing. And, you know, what we have seen is this sort of shift in the way shippers are working with their partners generally on supply chain, right? It used to just be, you know, only a cost center and it sort of was dealt with somewhere, you know, down deep in the organization. And now you have CEOs, CFOs, chief product officers saying, I need to better understand the supply chain. It's a core part of what we do. We need to elevate this. The board needs to understand. And so it's not enough to just have someone who can make a few phone calls and find trucks. We need visibility. We need better matches. We need reliability. All of the things that we had built on the platform started to become a great solution when shippers were picking their heads up and saying, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get my goods around the country? How do I handle this this environment? And so as we started to see that increased demand kind of coming out of the end of 2020, it became clear that there was a, a long you know, runway ahead of us in terms of demand, the shippers we were working with, there was, was huge amounts of requests for, for what we were doing. And so we said, look, you know, we need additional capital to invest in new products and sales and marketing and all of the things that we see as opportunities ahead of us. And so then we said, you know, is it better to do a private raise, a public raise? Uh, you know, we ultimately decided that, uh, you know, a public company was the right vehicle for us for a variety of reasons, which I can talk about transparency, you know, uh, using equity as currency and potential M&A, the capital it would raise. And then, of course, the question became, is it better to do it as a traditional IPO with a SPAC? Um, and for us, the, the partner that we were able to find, so G Squared was an existing investor. Uh, they knew us well. They knew the industry very well. They, as you've can kind of go and see in all of our public documents, they were willing to put a substantial amount of their own capital into the deal. They structured, you know, 50% of their founder shares at risk only when we achieve certain share price. So they really put their money where their mouth is in terms of their investment, as well as the structure of their shares. And, you know, their knowledge of the industry and the markets was just very important. And so we ultimately decided that, you know, being public was the right solution for us, given all of the demand we see uh, and the investment we want to continue to do. And the G squared was the right partner, which led us down the path of, of the SPAC. So, I mean, I, I know you mentioned about a few different ways that you may be able to use that money kind of down the road. Are there any immediate things on the radar that, okay, once, you know, this merger goes through, this is what we're going to use some of this uh, capital for? Yeah. Um, the, the number one is, is continued investment in the in the products that we've been developing. So I, I mentioned our, our transportation management system, the software platform for shippers, as well as the fleet management system software to help carriers, truckers become run their businesses more efficiently. So we'll definitely continue to invest in in those. Uh, we'll continue to invest in sales and marketing, um, getting our name out there more broadly across the enterprise shipper market. Um, and then we think that there's an interesting opportunity for for M&A at some point. Um, nothing immediate, nothing to talk about today. Uh, but we do think if you look at the dynamics of this market, depending on the source you look at, there's maybe 17,000 uh, brokers who are getting, connecting shippers and carriers. The vast majority of them don't have either the capital or the desire, or even quite frankly, the ability to bring on the data scientists and engineers and 
all of the people you need to build, you need to build this technology for, again, better matching, reliability, transparency, visibility, et cetera. And so we do think there will be a substantial amount of consolidation in this space over the next five years. And uh, we uh, believe that we can be a, a good consolidator in that in that time. Got it. Um, well, Christian Lee, CFO of Transfix, thank you for joining us on the show today. Pleasure to have you. Looking forward to, you know, hopefully we get to have you on again anytime we have questions about the supply chain. Actually, I guess one one follow-up question or last question would be, um, you know, on that note, is it, I mean, I'd imagine it's R&D in this space is expensive. I mean, once you're talking, you know, when you're talking about AI, you're talking about all these um, things. I mean, I can't imagine that's cheap. Yeah, and for sure, we're dealing with the same issues that everyone around the world is right now with uh, this incredible, uh, you know, market for talent that exists. And how do you bring people in, you know, data scientists, engineers, you know, people who have public company experience, all the things you need to build this company. Um, and so certainly, again, not immune from that. We've taken a pretty distributed approach. Even before COVID, we had had a, you know, a plan to have a fully uh, remote engineering and data science workplace to make sure that we could get the best talent uh, across the country and in other places as well. Um, we also, you know, one of the things that's important that you that you have to have as a company is an interesting problem for these engineers and data scientists and others to come solve. And uh, it turns out there's really not a lot more interesting out there than how can we help alleviate the inefficiencies that exist in this marketplace? How do we kind of use technology, automation, machine learning to help, you know, make things better for shippers and carriers to get through some of these bottlenecks. And again, the long-term shifts we're seeing in supply chain. So uh, we've been fortunate in that it's an exciting problem to work at. So we are able to attract and probably punch, quite frankly, a lot above our weight in the, the talent that we're able to bring in because of the excitement around uh, the problem we're solving and, and the success we've had so far in doing it. Got it. Well, congratulations. Looking forward to the merger again. Uh, ticker GSQD for now will be TF uh, once that merger is complete. Christian Lee, CFO Transfix, thank you again for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm happy to be on uh, whenever helpful. All right. We'll reach out. Thanks, guys. All right, y'all. Like we said, packed show today. Keeping the guests rolling. Thank oh, you yeah. to, to Mike from Muscle Maker Grill. Thank you to Jeff. Uh, thank you uh, to Christian Lee. We've got more guests coming up. Nick Two Sha guests coming up. Nick Shaheen here in about 10 minutes. Um, and then after that, our man, Jesse Kaler, who I owe 10 bucks from the football game on Sunday. Um, Wait, can, can we address we, the, the, what you just slacked me? Do you, can we talk about this for a second? We can. Right. Okay. Okay, so uh, Spencer brought up, uh, the, you know, it's, it's been in the news the past couple weeks, these train robberies. Um, and the thread that I, I, so I just slacked Spencer. Can, here, can I, can I just say why I brought it up specifically? Like, so I haven't, I didn't know about this before this morning. All I did was I read an, uh, frankly, a, a rather short article, um, in, oh gosh, I think it was like, was it the New Yorker on the website? I don't even remember where I read it. Oh no, maybe in the Atlantic. One of those like hoity toity magazines. They're all the same. Um, and, and, and I read an article basically just about like train robberies in Los Angeles County specifically. Um, and so that was top of mind. And so that's where I brought it up, but you've sort of showed me on this thread that would seem to fly in the face of, uh, 
of the, that of that thesis. thread is basically asserting that this whole story is a kind of PR move by the police by the LAPD because at the at the end of the day like whether you're reading on the New York Times uh New Yorker any of these hoity-toity magazines like Spencer's talking about about the the solution at the end of it is okay we need more funding for police we need more police officers to help these train robberies um but what some of these people have done digging so Union Union Pacific uh in 2019 reported 78 cases of train robberies so 78 in 2019. I don't know. That seems like not a lot, but I also 56 don't know. in 2020. Okay. And then 47 in 2021. So oh. it's showing oh, you it's, it's been down. declining and oh. yet all the you know and 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 this isn't the first time I mean the New York Times also like skewed some stats to make it sound like a lot of different um crime things are like way worse, which I think there has been like a year over year increase in in some um This is bringing back the Pinkertons. That's funny. I don't know what that means. That's a like a striking strike reference. That was uh, what, what was that? The, was that the was Pinkerton's? Was that the Haymarket Square uh, strike quantum? Anyway, that was an old labor strike reference. Yeah. Anyway, the, so yeah. so this guy in the thread that I, I sent to to Spencer here, I can just share it on the screen. I, I put it. I, I put the link in in the chat. Oh okay. Yeah. Um. So here are the sources quoted in the New York Times story. I think if you scroll down a few tweets, yeah, it'll okay. it'll be up there. Uh, uh, there it is. Authorities, LAPD captain, the police, LAPD captain, railroad corporation, railroad corporation spokesperson, associate of American railroads, LAPD captain, associate professor of marketing, railroad corporation, railroad spokesperson, DA, LAPD captain. Five more times. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of people that would theoretically have the same point of view on this. That issue. They want more funding and more protection. <laughs> Uh yeah, and this is why, and this this right here is the is the true beauty of Twitter to me, and the true beauty of a diversified media ecosystem. Whereas before you you read an article and you take it at face value, for better or worse, in this case I think it's for better. Um, you can there is someone that's doing a doing a little bit of a deeper dive and saying, whoa whoa whoa, hold us hold on a minute. I don't know about this premise, and let's actually look at the like logistically how that story got made. And Aaron and I both went to journalism school, so this is like stuff that we're interested in talking about and thinking about um, and debating. Um, but this is a really good thread, so thank you. For, I did not see this thread. Thank you for sharing it with yeah, me. Yeah, and I actually I think I saw this kind of randomly on Twitter, and I went out and followed this guy because he he has a lot of threads like this where he kind of takes deep dives and like gives facts, gives information. Thank and you for that. I, I and he he's not saying in this thread that like uh, train robberies aren't bad or they're not a thing that happened. He's just saying that he thinks the reporting on it was yeah kind of driven by through like a corporate corporate lens. spin zone. Yeah, PR. Um, and then, you know, it got picked up and he also talks about how there, there are 57 full-time employees working in the LAPD PR department. What? Why does an LA, or why does a P, why does a police department well, need see. 57 full-time PR? They definitely need more than one. Yeah. I don't know if they need 57. I mean, run your social accounts. Right. Um, you, and any like big case. Oh, sorry. I said 57, 67. You, you have to have a, a PIO, a public information officer. You got to have that. Yeah, when people ask about cases, you got to have, I'd say like 
12 would probably be a very appropriate. Well, we don't know how big the, the department is. Oh, LAPD is huge. Yeah, I know. So maybe. maybe okay, maybe, I don't know. It just seems like a lot. It's, I mean. It's, hey, tax dollars at work. All right. <laughs> let's, let's bring it back here. Um, 1255, Nick Shaheen is going to join us in five minutes. If you don't know who Nick Shaheen is, he runs the Benzinga Pro Options Mentorship Program. It's basically an add-on. If you uh, get Benzinga Pro, you can you can get this add-on service where you basically get access to Nick Shaheen's brain. Uh, he live streams every single day. He walks. He sets up trades for you. He take he. He takes your ideas and gives you trade ideas for them. He joins this show to kind of just do that, but give you a tease of what his normal day is like. So uh, it's a chat room. It's a, it's a charting service, and it's basically your personal options coach that you can get. So we'll talk about, we'll talk with Nick in a few minutes here. Um, real fast, before I forget, I wanted to look at the earnings calendar for tonight let's bring up my screen here last night we live streamed the uh amd and the um refresh my memory here well what are you talking uh, about? google we live streamed the amd and the google uh wow that was embarrassing uh the amd and the google uh conference calls tonight we will be live streaming but meta Meta reports earnings tonight. We will definitely stream that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say we're also going to do Spotify. That one is not normally one that I would pick to stream. But in light of recent events, it's probably going to be more interesting. So Spotify and Meta, we will be streaming these calls on the Benzinga Pro YouTube channel tonight after hours. Come hang out. Come chat. Do all that good stuff. If you're trading after hours, that's cool, too. Looking ahead to Thursday, and um, tomorrow may end up being a weird day. There is there is a slight chance Aaron and I will have to do this show from home. Although, i got to say, Aaron, the snow has not materialized. Well, no, but it's not supposed to. So right now, let's check. It's snowing, but it's it's a wet snow. I mean, it's right it's now basically it's, it's 33 degrees outside. But as the afternoon goes on, it's supposed to get colder. So I anticipate around... Um, I don't know, 6, 7, 8 p.m., we'll start seeing the, the snow accumulate more. And I th it's really going to be, is it as bad overnight as it's supposed to be? Because right now when you check, it says it's supposed to snow like 100% all through the night. Um, it'll probably be a game-time decision. We'll probably wake up tomorrow, and it'll either be, okay, yeah, it looks pretty bad, or eh, it's not so bad. So I'm not making any decisions based on, on if I'll be in the office tomorrow till tomorrow morning. I'm just going to play it by ear. He's non-committal. He's committing to non-commit. I'll do the same. How about that? There is a greater than zero percent chance we're going to do this show from home tomorrow, but we'll see what happens. I, uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I, I hardly, I hardly commit to anything. To anything ever. Uh, yo, talk to me, Goose. Listen, you're right. It's only a couple feet of snow. It's not that big a deal. But we haven't actually had ourselves. We haven't had a, a blizzard for. Uh, it's been about a month since we've had. Any semblance of a snowstorm uh, here in Michigan, and uh, frankly, two feet is nothing to sneeze at. I mean, I don't think we're actually gonna get two feet. That's, that's a lot. That's of snow. not nothing. So not even a, even even six to eight inches would probably be enough to keep me. I mean, I don't know. Spencer's don't know. got a little like Ford Focus. I've got a little hatchback. Yeah, my so car, I, our cars were not meant for this. No. So any any type of snow will will probably you know cause me to not drive into mom. But we'll see. Well, we'll find out. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so for tomorrow, 
Uh, speaking on, on the earnings front, for tomorrow, we are going to stream the uh, the Amazon and the Ford uh, conference calls after hours um, for those of you who are interested in that sort of thing. Okay, it's 1 o'clock. Did you write down the question that we were supposed to ask Nick? You did? Yeah. Okay, great. Because Nick is here. I didn't write it down, but I stored it in a part of my brain where I don't lose things. Oh, it's in the vault? Yeah. Where nothing ever leaves? No. Or go, yeah, it comes I, I, I don't have a vault part of my brain. Really? <laughs> no. Nothing's it's, it, nothing's permanent up here. Right now, it's it's just what we were gonna ask Nick Shaheen and the house telephone number of the house I grew up in. <laughs> Do you still you don't still live there anymore? No, and I don't think we've had a home phone there for. 10, 15 Mi- years. Mitch Hodge says we need to do a segment of Man on, <laughs> Man on the Street tomorrow. Bring on the street in the snow. If it gets to that point, we can talk about that later. Um, all right, let's bring on Nick Shaheen. He, you know where it's not snowing? Where Nick Shaheen is. It never snows where Nick Shaheen is. Nick, what's up, man? Heaven? It's Heaven. The temperature. Oh. The temperature is up. <laughs> Wait, what, what's um, the temperature right now? Uh, I don't know. 68, maybe. Oh, can you believe this guy? Where are you at, Nick? Uh, Southern California. Address? Okay. <laughs> Write it down. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just... One, two, three, none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. As Nick. they say, come take it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yes. everything, got, everything in life has a trade-off. Nick gets the weather, but he also gets the taxes. So, um, so Nick, right off the bat, the question we were going to ask you is if we anticipate – which I don't know if I do anticipate this or not, but say I did. Say I anticipated that for the next month or so, we're just going to see choppy markets and no big movement either to the downside or the upside. How can we play that using options where we can still make some money uh, in a choppy market that's not making any, any, say the market doesn't move 10% to the upside or 10% to the downside uh, throughout the next month? You, 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 would, uh, you would sell an iron condor. <clears throat> We, you basically will take a bullish position that does not require rally. In fact, it leaves room for a drop. And you would also take a bearish position that does not require a drop. In fact, would leave room to rally. And uh, so you basically sell a credit put spread, which is also called a bull put spread. And then you sell an opposing credit call spread, which is also called bear call spread. And then you let time do the work for you. And uh, you can do that in whatever ticker market you want. You can do it using the SPX or the SPY. Uh, there are advantages to using one or the other. So the SPX is a uh, cash settled uh, ticker. So the good thing about it is that there is no assignment. In the event price gets to one of the uh, positions you have on, uh, you're not worried about waking up owning shares because they settle it uh, via math. So. And uh, with the SPY, it trades like a stock. So if it goes into money, so if price goes through one of your positions, uh, there might be action on your account, might be action on your account. So, uh, but Iron Condor, you collect money and you just wait. And what you need to happen is absolutely nothing. Then you win. That's a pretty good answer. Got it. Yeah. So maybe... um... Once we get your screen up, maybe we can look at some of those spreads and see kind of like w- w- where you would look for that iron condor, um, you know, and talk about those benefits or drawbacks from doing it on the SPX versus SPY versus the VU or, or whatever you want to do. Sure, sure. And there's another ticker that I've started to dabble with, which I have an open trade on right now, though, so I keep looking left. I'm sorry. Um, 
is yeah. it's the XST, which is uh, a baby SPX. XSD, you is, said? I don't even know. XSD, XSP. Um, P? D, D's and dog. The no, spider no, no, semi, the spider. It's like Wait, P's and, P's, P's and Paul, up. Aaron. P's and Paul, come on. <laughs> it's like SPX, God. mix it up, XSP. So it is a cash settled baby index. And that's the cool thing about it. So for example, if you buy a call for today's expiration, they have a contract that expires today. And then the call, the, the price rallies in your favor. You don't even need to close it because after the day is over, they'll do the math and give you the credit for as much as it ran. Uh, so I'm a big fan of that ticker. And right now I hold calls for today um, and I've held them since the dip this morning with the group. So it's up 90% and I'm looking to lock it. There you go. 90%. 90%. Yeah, lock it in. Yep. And I'm leaving some runners for Friday. Um, so today, the jobs number from the ADP is a negative 300,000. That's why the dollar dropped quite a bit today. Um, <clears throat> that takes uh, pressure off the Fed, in my opinion. So... Um, so you, you know, okay, so, so let's, let's talk about that for a second. So you see the bearish or the not so great jobs number as not necessarily bearish for the overall markets because now you're saying, okay, the Fed can point to this and say, hey, we can't. Uh, well, it, ta it takes pressure off of them for the rate hikes. Uh, first of all, the talks of rate hikes, I, I'm at a loss. Uh, these experts, by the way, I closed my long. Uh, th these experts, um, talking up four, five, six rate hikes this year. I, I don't understand the logic. So the Fed spent went to great extent to reflate this economy and fix it. Um, why would they want to intentionally break it? And, um, you know, the report from ADP was so bad that I used to be a numbers guy, like doing analysis for a living. And if, if I came to my CFO and said, gave them that, I better have another paper with it that says why this happened. In other words, that's an outlier number. Doesn't make sense. Why, last, why their not, estimate was off so much? No, not, not. These are absolute numbers. You know, last month they said it was up 800,000 and that was about 400,000 too heavy. And now they're negative 300,000. If you watch the two, I bet you that's a data blip on their behalf. Like they had some weak seasonality from one month to another. It's just nothing right about it. Um, so we'll see what the NFP number will say on Friday. And mm -hmm. if it is also weak, then I bet you the market will react positively to it because the dollar should drop and the TLT should rally. Today, the TLT did not rally, not yet. I don't know. I haven't checked in the last hour. Um, why do I expect it? Because I think it takes the pressure off the Fed um, about r raising rates. So... Um, so the TNX in essence should fall, which means the TLT should rally. The price of the bond should catch a bid and the actual yield the, from the treasury should drop. Because if you think about it, the government cannot afford higher rates. So they are not going to put pressure on the Fed to raise rates if there's loss in jobs. Because the Fed's job is to create jobs. And if you're losing job, you don't do something that causes more job losses. There's no way they would raise rates in March 
if we have another minus number come out, if we have a num- minus number on Friday. Well, well, maybe maybe it's like they'll do one, but they sure as hell ain't doing like three. I or think four. they should do one in like September, maybe yeah. two max. Yeah. This five and six, I don't understand no. the logic. It's no, like a doctor think. that just spent a year fixing this patient, and on his way out the hospital, they throw a brick on their head. Why would <laughs> they do that? You just spent a year fixing this patient. Why would you intentionally beat them up? It doesn't make sense. And right, the, government, Nick. the government is deeply in debt, and it's fine as long as rates are low. The rates Nick, spike, we are in trouble. Can, can, you share, can you share your screen, please? I'd love for you to walk us through some trades on your end. Yes, absolutely. Uh, share screen. Yes. Uh-huh. I am sharing a screen currently with my peoples, so you will be seeing the same screen. There we go. Let's see what let's see what the people that actually uh, are in the mentorship program are seeing. And you so guys are getting this a free, is free preview uh, these right now. tabs. I'm sharing them all day, and um, to give you the lay of the land, that's the S M P right here on the upper left. Let's zoom in on it. And this was the plan today. It was convoluted. We were looking at thirty second charts. This is a five minute chart to slow it down. So we had a couple of breakdowns, and that was the the bottom zone we we decided to get long and wrote it up so now we have an ascending trend intraday and if you're not long yet you would chase the breakout from here higher and that's the overnight high so that's the failing potential and this is the january 10th low which was a pivotal pivotal moment back then when we had that nasty correction so i anticipate difficulty going through it so it should not be in a breeze. In fact, <laughs> on a higher time frame, I would expect a dip. I thought this could go twice as bad. This was the ideal target for it, but they staved off that for now. So here's the action plan for now. If you take this out, you could get long, acknowledging the fact that it could fail here, so you'd be ready to cut loose. Or if, it, if you lose the low from today, Expect a drop to like 449 and then a little bit more. So that's those are the lines, the big, these medium picture lines for the next couple of days. Um, that's on the SP. The NASDAQ had a little bad, I expected better from the NASDAQ. So this is another five minute chart on the QQQ um, that kind of is trying to fix itself, but it's not as bullish. Now, the small caps, that's Price action from PayPal. I know it's not the small caps, but it's bleeding into anything that looks like it. Affirm, SoFi, Palantir. um, They all got whacked at the knees. Um, That would make a beautiful breakout. Um, This is the small caps, RUT. So if you want a fast trade, you follow this red path. So a breach of yesterday's high, which was 2050, and another poke at 2054, I think it has a good run on its hands, 80 to 100 points. So that would be a nice one. But be patient. You either buy the dip, like today, or you wait for them to actually break out and you chase it. Be patient. There's no need to trade every day. Um, okay, so you wanted to see an iron condor. Yeah, although before I did that way, Pedro has a question. Does Nick short? Uh, do I short? I, I take bearish bets, but I don't necessarily, pre- I prefer not to. 
So I, 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 I okay, okay. I think that's the uh, the impl- I think what Pedro is really asking is do, is do you place bearish bets? I think that's the, the shorting, buying puts for all intents and purposes. It's the yes. same, same damn, same damn yes. thing. So I, I do. In fact, um, I shared uh, shorting the XLF before the earnings on JP Morgan that Friday, right here, the day before they dropped. Um, somebody said, how are you going to play the banks? I said, I would sell a call spread, which is a bearish position above current price and buy puts uh, at the $40 or the $41 puts. And if somebody did that, they got a really nice trade on their hands. So um, I would short oil. <clears throat> I would short Chevron up here. Um, I don't sell short. I don't sell the stock because the first rule of taking risk is knowing your maximum loss. When you short traditionally, you, you're you saying, I don't know how much I can lose. I'm gonna take yeah. the risk anyway, because mm-hmm. that's what, what, what it means to be short a company you don't own. So I would buy a put in Chevron. What's going on here? It's locked up. I would buy a put in Chevron um, out in time. And let's say you spend $200 on it. I'm making up numbers. You say, I'm willing to lose a hundred of it and then I'll call it quits. That means yeah. you're risking a hundred bucks to to catch a nice all-time high short, or uh, I would sell a call spread. That's a bearish position that would say, um, I don't think it's going to go above 140, and somebody will pay me money for it. And if I'm right, I keep the money. If I'm wrong, I may lose some money. So if I collect a hundred, uh, I may lose four hundred dollars to make a hundred which is a 25% yield on my risk, which is not bad and not needing a drop. So that short does not need a drop. <clears throat> Why? I don't, I don't buy into this uh, explosion in, in, um, in oil prices. And I, I certainly don't think Chevron deserves to be at an all-time high. Um, now, technically, it's breaking out. You have to acknowledge that fact. But this is uh, 2015, 2018, and now. Um, I don't think we say, what what has changed since then? ESG investing is now a real thing. Uh, more wow. people are telecommuting, le- uh, le- fewer people are flying, more Zooming. Uh, all car manufacturers said that they will not make fossil fuel cars Ever again. The, that that to me is the more of all the things you just said, that's the one that really has implications. Right. And so where is this bullish argument for uh, unbelievable explosion in demand on oil? I don't get it. Uh, we have more oil than we can handle right now. We just choose not to get it. So they are manipulating the supply uh, conversation. The demand has not increased. That is a guarantee. Uh, they're manipulating the supply Therefore, they can set the price they want. Well, that film usually ends in tears. How long do you think people will stay quiet? I, if I go to fill up my car now, it's over five dollars a gallon. Yeah. So, yeah. how long do you? I don't drive a lot, so I don't give two rips about it. But yeah. uh, you know, that person that commutes every day, fifty miles or hundred miles a day, that's a big chunk. And and how long will they be quiet about it? before they say, okay, we're going to lease, release some out of the SPR. The government should trade around oil. I mean, sell some. <laughs> you got tons of it. You wanted to bring down deficits, sell some oil. You got tons of it. I don't True. understand that. 
So anyway, that's, true. that's my, so yeah, I do short. And if you force me now, this will be probably one of my top shorts. So either this one or Exxon, which is not as happy versus its all-time highs, or the more mild way is doing the XLE. The XLE is an ETF for oil companies. 44% um, of it is uh, Chevron and Exxon. And then the rest are the other companies in it. So that one would be a, a good short. One of those three. If you want to pick on the biggest one, the strongest one is, is Chevron. Why would you want to pick on the strongest one? You no, I'm just saying it. Um, okay. I, I, I've shorted the, this last year. I shorted oil on every spike and one. I haven't shorted in a long time. And I think the last one I picked on was Exxon. I sold call spreads and bought puts and they played out. And then after that, they had the super explosion higher. And I said, even though I still have the same concept in my head, uh, I'm not going to do it. So I did not fight the tape, uh, as they say on Wall Street. I acknowledged the breakout. I disagreed with it, but I did not fight it. I just let it go. <laughs> Excuse me. So, okay, so so yeah, I feel like I derailed us all. So the, the, let's go. Let's go back to the what you were going to do before that, which was. Well, you you guys asked uh, what's a balanced trade. So I'm going to yeah. use one ticker uh, to give you a visual of that uh, setup. This is not a trade recommendation for the sticker. This is what I would do with the indices because there's no headline risk with the indices. So this company could get bought out and then boom, your iron condor is no longer good. But this is the visual of any in nondescript iron condor, okay? So not a trade alert. Um, it could work out as a trade, but I don't recommend it. And I don't even know if they've already reported or not, but I'm gonna show you the visual of what an iron condor looks like, okay? Yeah. This is E-Trade practice platform. Um, okay, so this is what an iron condor looks like. And let me walk you through it real quickly. Um, this side, their puts, this side, their calls. This, These two things here, that's a bull put spread credit put spread. I sell a put, I buy a put. I'm on the hook, I'm off the hook. I collect a premium. Money goes into my account. This one wins if price stays above 35 in 44 days. This is a bear call spread. That's the opposite mirror image of this one. Um, I sell a call, I'm on the hook. I buy a call, I'm off the hook. Creates risk, limits risk. Creates risk, limits risk. I collect more premium. Now, these, this is $5 wide. This is $5 wide. So I have $5 at risk here, $5 at risk here, but not really because I can't lose on both ends. Price is either going to blow this one out or that one out, not both at the same time. So whatever premium I collect from both reduces my total at-risk money. So I'm going to round. If I'm collecting a dollar for these, this trade, that means... I can yield 25% on my risk if price stays between 35 and 95 in 44 days. So that is an iron condor. What do I need? Nothing. Like you said, what, what trade would I do if I'm expecting a chop? That would be one. So uh, what are the odds of success on paper? Um, let me see here. So here, this little delta right there, how low it is, it says, there's very little chance that a firm will be at 35 in 44 days. Very little chance a firm would be at 35 in 44 days. That's what that delta says right there. What, regardless of what that delta definition well, is. Well, what would be a higher delta? Say what? 
What would be an example of, of, of a higher delta? A higher delta? Okay. Uh, current price is 61. So current price is somewhere in here. You should have a 0.5 delta, which is what? Coin flip, 0.5, 50%. The lower you are, the lower your odds. The delta is your odds maker. Forget about what it actually means. Okay, you can go read the definition and find out what it means. I'm telling you how to use it. This yeah, one that's more important. That, I I also can recite the textbook definitions, but that 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 doesn't help you. Um, right. So, okay. But if you if you use it the way it's intended to be used, well, the way I use it, this says a delta of 0.07 says very little chance that price will be there in 44 days. That's what that means. This very high chance it'll be here because it's already here. Okay. This right, makes it's sense. almost 100% chance. It's going to be uh, below 100 for the next 44 days. Conversely, there's a very low chance, a low chance, not very, but low chance. It's going to be at 95.15. So about 15%, 17% odds. And these are theoretical odds, but at least you got something tangible. As opposed to, hey, I want to buy a stock and I think I have an edge on my competition. Well, this one tells you exactly what your edge. You have great edge here that you're going to win. You have decent edge here at, and on, on the call side. So I would be more nervous on this side than that side, to be honest, because I like a firm. And if this trade gets in trouble, I would not defend it. I would get assigned the shares and I would sell this one for profit. Uh, so I will not take a loss on the credit put spread. I will take the shares because that's what it means when you sell a put. You commit to buy shares. Um, then this these losses will disappear and this will bring me profits. Then my break even will be probably below 30. I will do that. Versus I don't want to short a firm. That's why this is not a trade recommendation. It is a viable iron condor, but it is not a trade recommendation. Doing this in the SPX works better because you don't have single stock headline. So the SPX cannot be bought out or downgraded. Um, some analyst comes out and downgrades your stock and then boom, you get blown out. So it is um, viable visual of what an iron condor is. And those are the trades that um, are boring by design. Yeah, but boring is good. Exactly, boring is beautiful is what I say. <laughs> so. Speaking of boring, I'm watching uh, the intraday action. So what we look at, um, other than Lucid and Tesla trades and all of that, uh, overall picture, I looked at VXX, which is down in the middle here. So this is, quote, fear. But I only use it intraday. I don't invest or trade the VXX often. Uh, it's not like the VIX. It's the VIX futures ETN. So it just tells me the body language of fear. So you can see that for the last hour or so, rallies are being sold off in fear. That's why um, this has a chance to come back and make even higher highs. Um, but when you see these guys frisky at the top of the range of the day, then you become hesitant about holding longs here. Like I booked half my, I booked the long that expires today while I was on the show with you. And I'm holding some for Friday that I will decide uh, they're up 60%. I will I will decide later today if I want to hang on to them or not. When when's the when's the actual moment that dropped it? I mean, like when how far out do you typically make that, make that How decision? far out do I buy stuff? Sorry. Yeah. 
or make that decision or make that make the decision when whether you actually want to oh 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 okay so the delta the delta that i mentioned here so if i was holding a call so let me go show you xsp so this is a ticker i want to warn you that it's not very liquid so you heard of this pardon i never heard of this well this this is the spx baby oh Oh, one tenth okay. of the SPX. It's done by the CDOE. So I got it. The way I knew about it is I got an email from the company saying, "Hey, can you write more articles about this? Uh, not enough people are uh, looking at this beautiful." Uh, um, we need more volume, Nick. Give us <laughs> help us get some activity up in here. Right. That's what I want. I'm trying to spread the yeah. word because right now it is not very liquid. Look, there's not a lot. Of, so one, uh, you know, one of the problems is you go, you see 84 cents. Maybe it's real, maybe it isn't. And if it's moving fast, then it jumps from 80 to $1.50 to 80 to $1.50. So it makes it tricky to trade. So I was long, I forget which one. One second, 457. I was long to 457. And it looks like I'm still up. I sold it at $1.70. So I missed out on a 50 cent drop had I not closed it when I was talking to you. And that's a good chunk of change. So the delta on this one is high. But if I had bought this one, uh, the delta now is pretty low. <coughs> Excuse me, still getting over COVID. Um, then, then it's I'm like I have hope. That's it. I don't have statistics on my side because this expires today. Today, um, how many? Whatever, a few hours left, and I need a miracle pop for me to make money. However, if you want to invest thirty bucks per contract to maybe make $70 or $80, that would be the one to buy like right now. If you see a move coming into the close, you spend $30 to buy one contract of this one. Um, and then it may, if we get the rally, it may balloon into a dollar. So last week, last week, I think Friday, we did a couple of these and they were monster wins, 60 cents. This was 60 cents turned into on the RUT. I forgot how much it was. What was it? $13? $13. So if somebody spent 60 bucks, they made, they came out with $1,300 from one call. Uh, I call these lottery tickets. They're usually done on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays because this expires today. Like yesterday, there was no expiration. So I couldn't do this yesterday. Uh, we did have good wins, but they weren't like 30 cents to $2 type of a win. 30, 30, 60 cents to $13, that's unusual but it does happen. So if you're patient and you only want to trade three times a week, you can just do that and not have to sweat anything overnight. You take a bet and you see, or you take a bearish bet. If you think we're going to crash into the close and uh, you take the opposite side. So these are lottery tickets. What does that mean? You spend a little bit of money that you're okay losing, that'll break your heart a little bit, but not your piggy bank because you don't have a lot of, uh, you you don't have a lot of uh, statistical advantage if you're buying these cheap ones. They're cheap for a reason. But boy, if you nail it, boom. <laughs> so the first thing today, I lock, I walk in, I have 230 people in the room immediately. So, so what's the trade for today? I was like, we're three minutes into the day. <laughs> yeah. I, I like your enthusiasm, but we're just we just opened the market. I can't tell you where we're going to end up. So... Patience is what I'm saying. Uh, all right. If you have uh, potential ideas 
uh, for Nick or uh, something that you're kicking around in, in your head and you want Nick to help walk you through the trade, this is what he does every day in the Benzinga Pro Options Inner Circle. Uh, again, uh, the link for that is in the chat. It's pinned to the chat. It's on the screen, and it's also in the description of this video. It is an add-on to Benzinga Pro, but you get this kind of constant um, voice in your ear who can talk you through options trades. So um, what we can do is the the um, the advantage is that we can discuss trades all day. So somebody says, yeah. excuse me, I, I don't have the time to be in a chat room all day. You don't yeah. have to be all day in there. But if you, boy, wouldn't it be nice if you can just pop in whenever you can and say, you know what, I'm having a problem with this trade or I'm thinking about this trade. Um, what do you think I should do with it? Like today, PayPal, clearly there's an opportunity there. Uh, dozens of questions. How do you catch the falling knife? First of all, I've got to tamper down the enthusiasm around it. And then, but I also need to hide my excitement about it. It just covered the gap to the COVID pop. So now it's back to levels lower than it was before COVID hit. That is not right. So yes, the, the report was not great, but it wasn't bad. It was just not great. And down 25%, that's overkill. However, a drop that big may cause more selling tomorrow. Give you a scenario. If somebody sold a put at 150 for PayPal, they might get assigned overnight if it's expiring this week, maybe. So if they wake up owning a thousand shares of PayPal and they don't have enough to cover the thousand shares, they immediately have a margin call. Their account will be locked up. Not the end of the world. Uh, that means that they have to sell the shares to cover the margin call. Uh, so it might put another day of selling into the stock. So what I'm saying is, this may not be a bottom, but boy, is it an opportunity. So for example, how would I catch the PayPal fall? Um, let's say I like the company. And if you look at the PL, the PL is fantastic. They're huge. Uh, so wouldn't I love to buy shares at uh, 100? Uh, somebody will pay me $200 today more to buy their shares at 100 in the next 71 days. That means I break even at 97. 97.50. That is a risk I would not mind taking at all. So how was that? How, that's not a trade alert, by the way. But if I were to buy 100 shares of PayPal today, that's what I would do instead. I would sell a put. So that commits me to buying shares right here. So the worst case scenario is in the next 71 days, I could wake up one day owning 100 shares of PayPal at 100 bucks, and uh, I would break even at 97.50 rounding. So that's the worst case scenario of that trade. How does that trade win? I get paid to enter. If I don't get assigned the shares, I keep the money I got paid. So I, I become an insurance salesperson. I sell somebody protection. So somebody is buying this from me today. And if they buy it, then they know that if PayPal goes to 80, they are guaranteed a sale at 100. That's me. I am guaranteed, I am forced to buy it. I don't have a choice. They have I, 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 I want to point out, sorry to interrupt, I want to point out that like Nick's core strategy comes down to selling options because that generates income. So, right. selling, call, so, selling calls and selling puts, you get paid for that. Right. So I don't sell naked calls because I don't want to short I, stocks. Nick, I, so. I, 
Yeah, but the well, I, you're right. But the the general point still stands. Well, yeah, the general point is what whatever. Yeah. If you take a class about investing in options, the first paragraph would be most options expire worthless. Yeah. Therefore, by definition, you should only consider selling them, right? Because if most of them expire worthless, why on earth would I want to buy them? Uh, and if I do buy them, I better be surgical and with purpose. So if you want to do yourselves a favor, don't buy options without a real reason, like a specific reason, like, okay, across this line, it's going to here. And if you don't know charts, that's fine. The reason can come fundamental. Don't take a call because you thought it was going to go up. No. Why do you think it's going to go up? Why now? Why? Because now is important in options. Time is on the clock. Like if you don't mind holding PayPal for three years, there's no doubt that this is a buying opportunity. So buying shares now is not a big deal, but buying calls is a big deal. I don't know what's going to rally this week. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So then the buying calls becomes to be uh, in danger from that timing. Mm. Selling is the exact opposite. When I sell risk, when I sell options, time is my friend. So time is working for me. I want it to tick as fast as possible. Uh, that's how I make my money. That's why my family says, oh, the market's uh, rallying. Yeah, then you're happy. I'm like, I really don't give, <laughs> I, I don't care. <laughs> as long as it, it's not touching my lines, I don't care what it does. So if you pick your lines to be statistically viable, you would need a disaster scenario to cause you grief. That's it. Just put the odds in your favor. Consider learning how to sell options for a living. Uh, you don't have to make it 100% of your strategy. You won't make as much. Like if you buy a call and nail a breakout, like I just said, $0.60 cents to $1,300 to $1,300 in minutes. Well, you can't do that selling options, but it is so much easier to know where a stock is not going and selling risks there all year long than to nail at one giant entry like that. So I would take uh, base hits all season long rather than trying to fish for that one perfect home run swing. I see a few tickers in the chat, so let's get to those right let's go. now. Uh, let's go. Someone, somebody asked. I lost my screen there. There we go. Somebody asked, would you sell Activision? But I Wait, let's rephrase the question. Would you sell Activision? Oh, okay, would you bet on downside on Activision, I guess, is the point here. Would I do what? Sorry. Well, Activision, quantum, Activision is getting bought, well, supposedly. So ATVI okay. is a ticker. It's trading well. I have, it's I have trading, something to say about it. <laughs> yeah, it's trading well below. The takeout price is 95. It's trading well below that. That is crazy. So yeah, it's a lot. I remember a scenario like that from um, Rite Aid, R-A-D, yeah. right? And it was trading like $8 away from the buyout price or some ridiculous number, which brings the whole deal into risk. So this is called arbitrage and I'm not that good. So the fact that it's not here where it's a guaranteed price tells me there's something wrong with this. And that is too big a gap and that is too big a pop. So the best thing to do here, and I don't know if the options allow for it, is to maybe buy a straddle, which I never do. I never think it's a good idea, but there's no way <laughs> that- we just, we just talked about this. Yeah, like, so like, like not this doing is where this. you take both sides of the argument and yeah. you don't care who wins as long as somebody wins because you know there's going to be disappointment if the deal dies. You know if the deal gets done, there's going to be this rally. So 
maybe the straddle, but I doubt it. I've never seen an arbitrage situation that you can actually play with it with the options. So let's go to ATVI. Well, that's because there's never a case where it's trading $15 below its takeout price. But So so the ATVI, <laughs> for 44 days, if I it's $80. If I buy the put, it's $2. If I uh, buy the call, it's, hmm, okay, why are the put hotter? Uh, buy a call, it's $1.30. So basically for $3.50, I can buy both scenarios. Sounds too cheap to tell you the truth. Um, sounds too cheap. So, um, but 350. So you would need a move that's plus 350 or minus 350 and you're in the money. So if it rallies to 95, when the figure out when the deal is going to be announced and see if you can time buying a straddle. Because that would be the only guaranteed way where you don't need to know which way it goes or, or which way the headline breaks. If, if it goes bad, then you make money, if it, chances are. And if it goes well, you make money. What's the implied volatility? That's another thing you need to know about. It's, probably, it's probably low. I mean, you've got a ceiling on, well, theoretically, yeah. you've got a ceiling on yeah. this thing. So this is, this is really out of my league because I don't know the deal. I don't know arbitrage very well. I feel this is too easy of a bet. But if you want to risk $300, there it is. So one contract is... $300, both sides. So you buy a put and you buy a call and you wait for um, either, yep, the deal is on and it's $95 because in theory you paid $3.50 and it goes to 95. So then you're in the money, the difference between those two and what you paid. That's a lot of money uh, versus if it falls, <laughs> you needed to fall more than $3.50 and then you're making money. <laughs> so but it's it's above and beyond me. You have to pay attention to the implied volatility. In this case, it's pretty low, which tells me something. We're missing a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So for whatever uh, yeah, the, reason, yeah, the market yeah, doesn't. The implied volatility is important. Uh, case in point, let's see. This is Google today. The implied volatility is back to normal, probably forty. What is it? What is it usually? Thirty. No, it's still high. <laughs> So somebody asked me the first thing this morning, how would you trade Google? I said, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, if I'm not long Google, I am not buying it at all time high. They said, but it's splitting. I was like, okay. So that changes nothing to the stock itself, uh, to the company itself. It makes the stock a little bit more affordable. Um, I like that it's split. Now I can go back to trading it with options. Well, I don't know if it did split. What kind of a split is it? Do you know? Google, 20, yeah. for 20 to one. One to 20, 20 to 1? Is it both 20. tickers? Yes, sir. 20 to 1. Wow. That's a that's a big one. I know. Someone tweeted at me this morning. When's the last time you've seen that? And I was like, I never. Like, well, I've <laughs> seen a reverse split 20 to 1 with Novavax. No, I know. I've never, <laughs> seen a, I've never seen a 1 for 20, though. Or I guess 20, whatever. Well, here's uh, the problem. So if somebody had 10 contracts already open on Google and it splits, they're going to end up with 20 times as much. So you go to close your position and now it cost you an arm and a leg because you have, you know, 10 contracts times uh, 20. So everything you had is 20 times bigger. That's just, um, it happened to me a long time ago. I think I was, um, I was short puts in CRM when it split. I want to say five years ago, six years ago. I forgot how many it splits. One for three, I want to say. 
and uh, I ended up, uh, it, it cost me a lot of money because then to close, I think I had 30 contracts at the time. So then I ended up with 90 contracts to close. It's just the cost to close got to be pretty expensive. All right. This is a question from, there's a lot of questions here. Let's get to more of them. Jim Cruz, do we sell covered calls when the stock price is going down? Okay. So <laughs> I like that question. Uh, I don't mind selling covered calls at any point in time, as long as I'm okay honoring it. So if you're buried down in a stock, <laughs> it's if it's too far from your um, from your break-even point, then I would hesitate um, to sell a covered call. So what they're asking, so here's 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 what they're asking. Uh, PayPal, <laughs> PayPal would make a good example. So I don't know why TradingView is latent on me right now. Super latent. Okay. So covered calls, first of all, let's define them. If I own shares, I can put my shares to work by selling calls. So if I'm okay selling PayPal at $200 a share, I can promise somebody that I can sell a call there. I collect money. And if price doesn't go there, the money is mine. If price goes through the call, then I must make deliver my shares to them. Uh, so it's the opposite of getting assigned shares. You get called away from your stock. So if you cannot see that stock go away, then you shouldn't do it. So the question is, can I do it in a stock that's falling? The answer is maybe. It depends. If you can, first of all, if you're really solid with your levels and you trust that it's not going to go through that call, fine. But you're taking a risk temporarily. Um, and if you cannot honor it, and you don't know how to roll out of it, then you shouldn't. That's my opinion. But if I ever buy shares, I immediately sell covered calls. And you can do it on calls. If I buy calls, like I bought calls in Palantirs two days ago, and Palantir, boom, rocketed yesterday, and I could have gone out and sold calls against it for this week, the call. I don't own shares, but I own longer dated calls. So it's as good as me owning shares. And the, and the broker would not have an issue uh, me shorting it this week since they have they know that I have an asset that limits my maximum loss. So the answer to that person that's asking is maybe I do it. Uh, this is probably too tough. If you're asking about PayPal, I wouldn't do it now. Because if you look PayPal, look, I'm going to scroll left. That is uh, the pandemic Woo, we're going to the moon, people, and all of Reddit traders. Yeah, that was it. Uh, but now this is pre-pandemic levels, and PayPal's PL is beyond reproach. The investors are pissed. That's it. The report was not bad. Look at it. 25 billion in sales, uh, three times as much as 2014. Uh, it, you know, look at it. I mean, it's growing 20% a year. Profits of 5 billion. Statistically, it's not expensive. Eight times sales. That's about Apple. This is slightly more expensive than Apple, but it grows faster. So it's not a bad company. It's just the investors are disappointed and they're throwing a fit. And that's it. So it's not like they shrunk. They just, in fact, they grew 800 million in sales to this time last year. So um, I would not sell covered calls in PayPal today. What about 
Um, someone asked about Pinterest because they report tomorrow. So here, let, let, Pinterest, let me read. Yeah. The, let me read the, the question. Uh, <laughs> what is the best way to play pins today? Oh wait, today? Tomorrow? No, Pinterest is tomorrow. Pinterest. Is I'll tomorrow. tell you. Um, yeah, it's tomorrow. I I also saw that. <laughs> uh, what would you do a straddle or a strangle? Hmm. Neither. Okay, so let me tell you why. First of all, Pinterest, great PL. Can we cuss? <laughs> sure, yes, you can. Shit price action. This is <laughs> the, this is the small caps price action. Palantir, PayPal, Pinterest. Yeah. Uh, also, there I don't know if you've been following I'm sure you haven't, but like a lot of their for whatever reason, a lot of their executives have been leaving the company lately. So a lot of their what? I didn't hear it. Executives have left the company. In the last like, six oh. months, they've had like a bunch of executives leave. So on paper, there's no there's no problem. The PNL is expanding properly. They're even profitable now on a quarterly basis. You know, they have spots of weak quarters, but you know, still there's no panic in the PNL yet. So the, the maybe the executive jumping ship is a precursor sign, but it's not expensive. The PNL is not deteriorating, so I yeah. don't understand this price action so uh so what the question is would i buy a strangle or a straddle so let me explain well, it, to... broadly speaking what would you do but let's start with that why would i don't you do trade earnings okay. i would wait until after the earnings to trade because trading the earnings you're completely gambling you want me to prove it to you Okay. No, I, so, I mean, we just we just looked at PayPal, so I mean, I think it's no. PayPal itself. was a disappointing report. I'll give you two two examples that prove to you that the quality of the report doesn't matter much. Number okay. one, Tesla crushed the numbers, sixty five percent growth in sales, stock falls eleven percent. The next day, Hood, the shittiest report ever. That was that was the, a bad report. With the crappiest forward ripped. guidance ever, the stock yeah. rallies. 10% and then another 7% the next day. So the actual report, you're gambling. The overnight reaction from the earnings, you're absolutely gambling. It has almost nothing to do with the quality of the report. I am confident. I knew for a fact that Google would crush it. I could not tell you that they were going to rally on. And in fact, if they didn't split, maybe it would have rallied, maybe it wouldn't have. But people are chasing the split. So no clue. Apple report was great. What was the reaction? Um, yeah. It was okay. It was good. <laughs> okay. Was but good. Yeah. You can't count on it. So why isn't no. every Apple reaction up? Every report is good. I don't remember a all bad right, report. Right. From, so I don't trade the earnings. So if you, if you force me to trade the earnings, okay. yeah. if you force me yeah. for Pinterest, I would sell risk below at the risk of getting assigned at a lower price. So I would sell a put to own shares or a put spread and I would turn it into a sold put after the fact. So that would be the only way I would risk money on the earnings. Or I would say, you know what? It's been beaten down. I would take a position saying, I bet you, even if they drop on the earnings, the PNL is still too solid. I think there's too much bearishness. I would buy a call or a call spread uh, for April and sit on it and bet that regardless of what happens for the earnings, they will eventually find footing and bounce back from it. And that okay, would be so a finite, finite risk. And let's say whatever it is, $500, whatever is available to um, for it to be not a like, oh my God, I just lost 25% of my account. No, small position, 
uh, for the earnings because there's a lot of uh, guessing overnight in the earnings. Okay, so then let's let's go to a non-earnings play. Let's look at Tesla. Zen Bullish asked you uh, how, how you'd approach Tesla here. Okay, Tesla today. <laughs> I'll show you my lines on Tesla's strategy for today. I have people actively shorting it today in the, in the room. I said, well, you short the breakdown. You have to stop out of your short if they recover the neckline, and they did. Um, longer term, uh, this is 15 minutes. I'll go to 30 minutes maybe, 60 minutes. Longer term, it is stuck in a descending lower high, lower low trend, that yellow thing, where the rallies are being sold, and this is one of them. So now I said, I had a note up here, which you can't read right now. If you're long, I would close. If somebody listened to me, they saved themselves uh, you know, a 5 7% drop. They're, the bulls are battling out of this descending channel. It's like a riptide. You want to swim sideways to get out of it. So um, the, the pattern has been to sell the edges of this descending trend. Overall, long-term, I would buy dips in Tesla. How fast are you? Uh, depends on where you buy it and how. So for now, for today, the bears have control over it, and they're trying to bring it back down to here. Um, if you lose this, then we can have a different conversation, but I think that would mean that the markets are correcting as well, which, by the way, we're not out of the woods, okay? We're not out of the woods from the markets. Uh, we could have another 15% drop from the lows on, what was it, the 24th? The lows a few days ago. If we lose the S&P lows, we're going down much, much lower, uh, which will take everything down with it. But that's not my scenario. My scenario is the reason why the Fed is pulling the plug a little bit is because things are way too good. Why should we drop another 15% if things are too good? Now, I want to bring your attention to, you know, Tim Quast from Market Structure Edge. He's on your We're platform. familiar. Yeah. Okay. So their tool is showing, um, you know, sentiment, which is really demand, deteriorating below or two levels from COVID. This does not make sense. Why do we have less demand on stocks now than when we had, than we had during March of 2020. Um, either either the, there's a crash coming or there extreme fear. And usually when there's extreme fear and nothing happens, we have a snapback I mean, rally that brings back new highs. I, I, yeah, I think it's probably just more cash on the sidelines. All right, well, I don't know. March 2020 was so funky that it's very, very difficult to, to compare yeah. anything. To I, I, I don't know why we would be worried about overheated situation when there is absolutely no demand on stocks right now. I, I don't get it. <laughs> and there's an abundant supply of stocks from their tool. I don't have a way for me to measure it, but their tool gives you two metrics. One is called sentiment, which really is demand if you read their tool description. <laughs> Shelly says, says people got poor. Well, no, March 2020, they weren't rich yet, Shelly. They, they, <laughs> they, they only got rich after when everything yeah. ripped um, so uh to answer to answer the question sorry we didn't finish it so tesla yeah. if yeah. you lose this line and you want to short it be my be my guest because if you lose this line you're going to go lower uh this is a an inverse cup and handle of sorts it would probably bring you back to 850 would fill this little gap right there so the visual to that drop would be something like this uh this is not my forecast did you hear the first part is if 
if you lose the low from today, this is your target. So you set an alert and you wait. I'll set an alert right now. And I'll say, uh-oh, what did I say? 8.45 minus. All right. So that's the answer to Tesla. What? All right. We got time for like a couple more. Uh, someone asked about it. We have Netflix and we'll do Netflix and Airbnb. Okay. Netflix. Easy. I've got it right here. Um, I've, I've written it long in the group down from here yesterday or two days ago. I said, don't underestimate this rally is going to go a lot longer than people think. And a whole bunch of people traded it. I didn't trade it, um, but a whole bunch of people traded it. So now it's back to the base from here. Not a place to get out. But if you lose that base, the support, same as Tesla, you're going to carry lower to about 14, 415, 410. Um, not my forecast. It doesn't deserve to be that low. It, it fell below 2018 lows, 2018 highs, which is not right. The report was not crappy. It was just disappointing, not great. Uh, so I think it fell more than it needed to. And if I'm long Netflix, I can stay long. If I'm trading Netflix, that's a bearish trade right here or buy the dip. So I'll put an alert here uh, for me to pay attention and get long again. How would I get long? I would sell a put spread or sell puts to own shares on bad days. And then we'll wrap it up with Airbnb. Okay, Airbnb. I have not looked at that in a while. So hopefully I have lines. I'm afraid to look. I was up so much and now I'm probably now I'm down. But this is a long-term oh, no. thing for me. What When you say up, were you long shares or calls or what? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I bought, I forget when I bought this thing. I mean, at some point in the last 12 months I bought it. But um, Okay. So yeah, probably, what I think you, it was what... like six, six to eight months ago. And it really just like a... So a um, longer swing, a longer swing. I don't really have time. <laughs> so on uh, first of all, That's if you bought up here, you just need to look left next time, right? Well, so it was, that, that, yeah. I, that's one thing. The yeah. second thing is it's in a descending channel. You can see it higher lows, um, uh, lower highs, lower lows, right? Like Tesla pops are being sold. Pops are being sold. Um, so your job is to find a level that says, okay, we're out of this stinking riptide. Um, I think that level is not until 162 and a half ish, maybe 161. Somewhere in here, this candle, these tails, somewhere in here, there's a big seller hiding. If you can take that out, um, like I would put an alert here and I'll say progress. So if I own shares, I'll start smiling. Hey, maybe I'll start selling some covered calls against them. They have earnings coming soon, so you better protect yourself around the earnings. Um, yeah, if you lose true. this one, holy moly. You do not want to lose this one. Okay. So if you lose this one here, hmm. Uh, whoops, wrong one. That would be a uh, GTFO moment. Mm. Uh, danger, danger. Uh, DEFCON 2 and DEFCON right. 1 I, is right here. I haven't looked at the calendar. I don't know when they report, but I will. And maybe I'll, I, I should throw on some, some put protection or something. Yeah, it's coming up in a couple yeah. of weeks. So DEFCON yeah, right. 1 is yeah. losing the lows from uh, July of last year. So this yeah, is warning that's, 1 of that's 2. Our, that's around the time where I bought it. I think I bought it in like August. If you bought it in August, you did well, but you didn't book your profits. So No, I did not. No, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so hey. Next yeah. time, next time, when you're in a situation where you have this much profit, hit me up. There are ways for you to start putting it to work. You sell calls against it and you make money off of it every week. And the worst that can happen is you booking your win. So 
that's uh, that's what it makes sense. So th there should be a lot of support here. See that note from a long time ago? It's yep. it helped. I would be surprised if they lose this one, but if they do lose this one, I mean, be open to seeing it in two digits. All right. Hey, listen, the, the the last hour that we just spent with Nick, he does this every single day. He joins our show for free, but he does this every single day for those of you that are in the Benzinga Pro Options Inner Circle. The link that is pinned to the top of the chat and also uh, on the screen and in the description, that link will give you a, I think it's a 25% off discount yes 25 percent off discount to uh nick's options mentorship again live every day chat rooms uh charts uh and and and, and hand holding basically uh you know giving yep. you his his daily insights and uh what he's looking at every single day here's the um here is just what that what that checkout page looks so like. also on later. sundays i make available two hours worth of uh charting session so I send out a form on Saturday and Friday and say, what tickers do you want to discuss on Sunday? And I'll do the homework on Saturday and I'll have it all in a big table with links to the charts and then we'll have it live and I'll record it and share it. So if you, and every day there's a write-up before the market opens and write-up during the market open. There's usually a video with a trade setup. Uh, like we went long Amazon a few days ago and that's played out pretty well. So, um, yeah, it's worth it. If you're looking for value, I can guarantee you there's more than enough value. And the folks at Benzinga will give you money back if you don't like it. Or you don't hey. if you don't want to hear me talk eight hours a day, you don't have to be in the live room. You can just be in the yeah. chat room without being in the live room. But I do share these screens every day before the market opens for anybody that's trading fast. And whatever tickers they're they're trading, I'm up in here. Like somebody wanted Shopify today, and that's the trade they're in right now. And it's still playing out right now. So we'll see how that plays out for them. I don't have the stomach for Shopify. So, oh, you can't see my screen. Never mind. I'm talking. No, to we, this is the checkout page. Again, the link in the chat, in the description, in the on the screen takes you to this page. YouTube 25, 25% off uh, this, this add-on to Benzinga Pro. Uh, Nick, thanks a lot. As always, we will uh, we'll, we'll have you back on again. Uh, uh, next time you're on the schedule, which I think is next. Week. Hey, we next time you have a question about a ticker, don't get in trouble like that. Hit me up, man. You got my. Well, the problem was I wasn't like I wasn't thinking about it. I, like it, it was a long term position. This is the opposite, but it was like it was a long term play when I was making money, and then when I was losing money, then I was like, oh, I don't want to be long term anymore. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, usually right. it's the opposite. Usually it's a short term play, and then you lose money. Oh yeah, it's an investment, but in this case, it ended up being. Whatever. Right. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot, Nick. About, don't be shy about asking or popping into the room. You got a cut launch for me anytime you want. Yeah. All right. Have a good one, Nick. Okay. Later, bye. All righty. Um, hey, it is one fifty-seven. So Jesse Kaler unfortunately canceled on us today. He's got young kids. They had their school. I guess they had a snow day today or something like that. Woo! So love a good so snow. I day. love a good snow day. So he'll be on the show on Friday. Um, to gloat about snow day. How are we looking to at gloat that? about the Bengals. Still no, still no sticking. When's he coming on? Friday. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, and then we also have a uh, Brian Feraldi coming on on Friday. If you guys follow him on Twitter, good, good follow on Twitter. We are at um, 102 likes. If we get to 300 likes in the next two minutes, Aaron and I are going to commit to doing a man on the street segment tomorrow in the snowstorm. 
If we get 200 likes in the next minute and a half, you think it's possible? Sure. Okay. Bradley Beal's trending on Twitter. Oh, that's not never a good thing. Um, anyway, uh, thanks to everyone for hanging out with us today. Thanks to all of our guests, Nick Shaheen, for hanging out for almost an hour. We appreciate that. It's a, it's a lot of time to hang out with us for. Um, I get sick of us after 15 minutes. So uh, thanks to Nick. <sighs> thanks to uh, Christian Lee from uh, Transfix. Thanks to uh, Jeff Hoffman from uh, the Global Entrepreneurship Network and Going Public. And thanks to Mike Roper from Muscle Maker Grill. Uh, we're going to hop off now. The roadmap is coming up live next. Uh, if you missed yesterday's show, I, I would recommend checking that out. They uh, spoke to a a, a war. I, I guess he's an, he's a whale. He's a he's a board ape yacht club whale. This guy owned like thirty five board ape yacht clubs. Hence why we have them behind us. By the way, shout out to uh, Kramer for making an appearance on today's show. I appreciate that. Thank thank you, Kramer for. Up now with us What's today. Kramer been up to ever since Seinfeld? Ah, not much. Not much. Hopefully he's got a good bag. Anyway, uh, uh, what NFT projects should you be watching? They know the answer on the roadmap. So that's coming up live right now on this very channel. We're going to end this stream, redirect to those guys. Uh, Chris and Brian uh, know their shit. They know their shit. If you know nothing about NFTs, you don't even know what that stands for, stick around ask and they shall answer uh hit that like button we did not get to 300 likes which means no man on the street in the blizzard which is cool is fine by me anyway everyone have a great rest of your day i'll catch you guys at the close in an hour and a half the roadmap live right now everyone have a great rest of your day stay green out there and those of you in the blizzard stay warm stay 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 shoveled. Peace and love, Zinger Nation. We'll be back tomorrow. Maybe remote. Maybe from the office. Who knows? Smash that like if you haven't already. You'll have to watch us to find out. And stick around for the roadmap. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.